gazing wistfully out to sea on the hill at Wollongong Showground. It's the Rugby League Cemetery. Yes, this is the Rugby League Cemetery, and very good to have you with us. We are uh, we're back after a short absence, and uh, thank you for bearing with us. And sorry for the delay, but we're back with a bang. I've got to say, uh, friends and listeners, uh, because we are going back to 1992 today to celebrate the Illawarra Steelers' 1992 season. Their most famous and one of their only two runs into the semi-finals. Uh, we're going back to September the 20th, 1992, when they ran out against St George in the preliminary final in front of 38,928 at the Sydney Football Stadium. Steelers fans, well, we've been overwhelmed uh, in the last few days. We put the call out. We asked, who's your favourite Steeler? Uh, we had a, uh, a few you know, Illawarra pages and that kind of thing sharing it. And we had about, I think about a total of about 700 people got in touch in one form or another to talk about their favourite Steeler and to talk about the Steelers. Uh, it's amazing, Gazzy, isn't it, that after... You know, this is now, what, 22 years after they left the competition and after the merger with St George. Uh, they've now been out of the competition longer than they were in it. But when you look at those comments and you look at the way people talk about them, there is still so much affection out there for the Illawarra Steelers. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, um, you know, that's probably a little bit different to the other the other clubs that went uh, sort of north and and those and the Jets and the Magpies had a much longer history in the competition. So it's the one that you probably, it's not sort of automatically assumed that's still there, but it very much is. And I suppose it's a sort of a rugby league area, isn't it? And a um, part of the world that's always loved its rugby league. And they, for a very unfortunately brief window of time, they had a team in the elite competition. And, and it's, you know, if you were there and you're a part of it, you're not going to forget sort of uh, Graham Murray and this sort of era, are you? No, that's right. And that's the thing. When you, you know, the players that people were naming, um, were, were, a lot of them were, were guys from this team and, and from mm. this 92 run. Uh, but it was just, you know, it, it was that thing of people just saying, oh, I miss them all. Just bring them all back, you know, and talking about, you know, my, I, Dean Skiffer-Liddy used to live next to my nan and all this kind of <laughs> stuff that people were coming out with. Um, yeah. Jealousy there. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. <laughs> It just uh, it warmed my heart. I got to say, I I love. It's one of the things about people who love rugby league, isn't it? That they, you know, they once they got their side, that's it. Um, well, yeah, that, that's right. You don't get a lot of these people go to a new club. I, they're probably, in a way, um, the most regrettable casualty of, of the Super League war in, in many ways. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, it, it's very very sad. North Sydney aren't in the competition, particularly when they could have taken the Central Coast area. And we've sort of been through that before where that was a chance for them to get out of Sydney and circumstances stop that. But, but of all, you know, like not having a team in, in Wollongong, when you were looking to rationalise and the Sydney competition was just absolutely, as it still is, just congested with teams. Mm. Um, if you were, and you know, you and I have got our thoughts on getting rid of teams and we're not a huge fan of that in any form. But if we were sort of put in a position where you had to get rid of some teams, picking one that's sort of not really from Sydney is 
markedly odd, isn't it? I mean, yeah. it's not picking one from Sydney that has a history too. I mean, they weren't brand new. They've been in the competition as long as the Raiders. Um, I understand why, you know, teams like the, the Mariners and the, and the Rams possibly didn't make it in a variety of forms, but getting rid of, you know, Illawarra who had a lot of good players and were not from the center of Sydney just seems very strange, doesn't it? Like it's an yeah. odd choice. Um, it doesn't really fit. If you look at it now and say, what could we have done differently in the last 20 years? I, I don't think there's, you know, having a South Coast team represent the South Coast and being in Illawarra and saying, all right, and you need to get the whole South Coast and go out there and, and, and take on that whole area um, mm. would have seemed a more sensible move. Yeah, I do. And, and that's one of the things about the, that, that period and, and the, the changes that were made at the conference. The, the kind of lo- the basic logic of, oh, there's too many teams in Sydney, there's too many teams too close to each other, didn't yeah. really, th- th- there were some instances where that just didn't end up happening, you know, that didn't stack up, that wasn't yeah. how it went, you know, and this is a great example mm-hmm. where you have, you have Cronulla and St George kind of still in each other's pockets, but, but Illawarra kind of had to get folded in. Um, you always say to me, you know, that, you know, there was a team, but they merged St George and Illawarra and there was a team in between them geographically, you know, there's, there's a team <laughs> yeah. in between St George and the Illawarra. It doesn't make yeah. any sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. All of that sort of thing. Yeah. It was, it's, they're just and, one of those examples. And I know they had a lot yeah. of financial trouble and, and had to, you know, had to always battle mm. and they didn't do that well in the competition and all of that. But I guess 92 in a way is the year that you could point to as how it could have gone. You know, and this, yeah. is what, this is what yeah. it was supposed to be like. Well, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, th- absolutely, that's the case. They they had a lot of good players coming through, and and this is this is a preliminary final. And if you go, if, if we forget who your favourite stealer is, or who actually had the best career for Illawarra, if you look at the most talented players to ever play for the Steelers or come through the area, they've made a preliminary final, and a couple of those aren't there yet, but they're coming. So you're yeah. in a preliminary final a couple of years from when probably the most talented players. You know, if you look at their career after the the, the Steelers are no longer in the comp, you, you know, your Trent, your Trent Barrett's an obvious one, your Sean Timmons, um, even Luke Patton and some of these guys coming through. They're yeah. some of the better the better players. I mean, Trent Barrett's sort of a once a ten year player are all coming through at just after a team that's already starting to make its run and make its mark in the competition. Um, and and that is very much where it was supposed to go. And and you know, it's it's not that dissimilar. I, I, obviously, they were probably less successful the Newcastle from the outset, but Newcastle come in in 88 and make, you know, really 95, they make a prelim 97, they win a a half competition. So it takes about 10 years for Newcastle with all, you know, their rugby league history in the area to really make a dent. They make finals earlier than that. They're not as woeful as Illawarra, but they're not a proper um, force that's going to win the competition until about sort of 10, you know, eight to 10 years afterwards. And that's with the help of sort of them landing an immortal falling in there you know in their yeah. lap which um and and illawarra here is probably at a similar stage at 10 years into the competition making a preliminary final that trajectory isn't that different to newcastle really. yeah up to that point yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah that's absolutely right. so they're coming in here there's every sense that they can they can they can go on from here and they've got a lot of players on the horizon that would have helped them do that and i put it to you they've got a lot of players on the horizon that probably would have helped them do that had they signed with the super league and got all the money that um cronulla and those other sides got so you know it's a it's an unfortunate one and and they're probably the two big ones, the Steelers and the Bears, because you look at rationalising Sydney in too many teams and the Bears were trying to actually not be in Sydney um, and the Steelers sort of aren't in Sydney and have a team between them and the Sydney team they were forced to merge with and the Sydney team they merged with 
they play most of their games in Sydney. The St. George Illawarra Dragons play plenty of games at Cogra. They play plenty of their football in Sydney. And if you ask most people what they're called, they're still a Sydney team. So really, did that get any team out of Sydney, that move or that merger? Um, was anything uncongested from the Sydney market? No. So what not, was the not, point? Not <laughs> other, you know, that, that whole yeah. move, all it did was take half a dozen or you know, half a dozen games a year out of Sydney. Um, yeah. I, Exactly. So what was yeah. served, you know, you know. Yeah, that's right. And the other thing about this this Steelers side, and we and we're looking at the, the ninety two preliminary final. If you look at their team, they had a lot of like they had uh, out of the fifteen that ran on that got on in that game, eight of them were from the Illawarra. Uh, yeah. Riolo, uh, Riolo was from Wollongong. Wishart from Gerringong. Rodwell from Wollongong. McGregor from Dapto. Uh, John Simon was from Dapto, uh, Pichinelli Helensburg, John Cross from Port Campbell, and Walsh was from Wollongong. They also had uh, Ian Russell, who didn't play in this game, and a few people mentioned that they might have got over the line if he did. He was the Daly M Lock of the Year in 1992, mm. but but he was from uh, he was from Mittagong, so not far away either. Um, and that that that's how it was supposed to be working, and it was it was kind of starting to starting to happen for them. And as you say, a few years later. Uh, by the late 90s, early 2000s, they're producing Timmons and Barrett. Uh, and then a little bit after that, you know, Luke Bailey and Jason Riles and Cooper and the Morrises and that kind of thing. Um, well, I'll tell you what, the one thing that, that also left off that list, because once you get to the Jason Riles, Bailey and Cooper and the Morrises, um, the two that are really left out, I know I'm getting a long way down the track here, but if we say they stay in the competition and they run Barrett and they have a good run and then all of a sudden, you know, you get Riles and, and these guys coming through with the, the Morrises, you also would have got the Stewarts from uh, from there that they they're from that area oh, of course of yeah, yeah yeah but brett and glenn so i know mm. we're getting ahead of ourselves but that's only 2008 so you know once you're talking you're getting once you, they're sort of like brett stewart is um players come along sort of once every 25 years that are that good um and his brother was very good too so like um not to go too far down the line but they they have like they've got a team full of juniors here they produce an absolute glut of local talent yeah. over the next 10 to 15 years, um, including ones that sort of never, never played for them. And if you put all of that together, I just think, you know, if, if we say every player we've just mentioned had a played for the Illawarra Steelers, I just think that they would have had quite a bit of success. Where, you know, it's hard to predict who wins competitions, but geez, they would have had yeah. this cattle to, to try it on. If they had money and they kept all of those players, you know, you're in the hunt, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's and that's where crowds build and that kind of thing. And that's where and, and money makes money, I suppose, doesn't it? Um, and what you said is absolutely right. You know, if they'd have gone to, to Super League in uh, if they'd have if they'd have gone to Super League, they would have made a mozza, you know, they would have made a lot of money and um, they would have been secure and, and, and none of the existing teams that went to Super League, uh, other than the Western Reds, uh, died in by you know, by mm. 2020, they're all still around. They're, they're all still there. Cronulla and, and Penrith and Canterbury mm. and all these clubs. Um, and Cronulla had no real... Uh, they'd been around longer, but sort of once they, they lose the lure of Steve Rogers, they hadn't had any more success then. It had been sort of decades since they'd been any impact on the competition. So they're going into about the Super League era, certainly in no stronger a position in my mind than Illawarra as a... If you're looking at, you know, uh, their position as an entity, their position in the game where we think of, you know, you look at clubs and go, oh, yeah, the, the Broncos, oh, yeah, this... They had no real status about them, Cronulla, at that no. I'm either so sort of the te- they're very is they're a very good case study because they're next door probably equally poor um Eddinghausen's probably the only difference between the clubs is they did have sort of one of the you know real marketable players but outside of him you 
they're next door, very similar financially, very similar everything else. And you go, well, one, why is one here and one, why isn't? And it probably does, is, is that simple. This probably is a case where it's that simple. Cronulla went to the Super League and that's why they're here, why they were able to keep a lot of good players, be strong in the late 90s with a really good team um, and ultimately survive. And yeah, and, don't. <laughs> and, don't, and people listening at home, don't get us wrong. We're not picking up Super League necessarily, but uh, no. we're just saying, you know, like they would have, you know, if they'd have gone to Super League, they probably would have survived. Um, oh, yeah, they, it's no, you know, no bagging on them and it's no bagging on Cronulla either. Cronulla did a great no. job to do that and that's exactly what they should have done. It's just simply the point that if you look at the history, if you're a Steelers fan or you're a, think, or you're a fan of the concept of the Steelers and, and yeah. them being there, you can literally look at this history and say, if they did that, they would be here. Um, yeah. today it's not the Super League's fault they're not they just they'd, they'd be here if they went there and you wonder um, like the Bears whether that's something that plays on the decision makers um, hands now uh, mm. I, I don't know if it's something you'd, you'd noted I know you've done a bit of work on the history but one of the um, Graham Murray was actually the only coach to be sacked over Super yeah, League yeah, yeah. and, and the, the way that panned out is that he heard about the concept got quite excited and thought this was a really good way for them to go. And he organized a meeting um, for the Super League and the players um, down in the local area. And the, uh, the problem is at the same time, the Steelers had signed with the ARL. He didn't actually know that. There's no contention he knew that. He wasn't playing shifties. He thought it was on. Um, and yeah. the board found out and said, we've unfortunately got to get rid of you. Um, and he became the only coach sort of sacked. So there, he thought it was a good idea. And he probably looked at it going, you know what? We're not in a position to beat Brisbane and Canberra, but yeah. I've got a, he probably knew who was coming up the grades and he knew who he had. Yeah, and he yeah, thought, yeah. you know what, if I can keep all these guys together and we go and do this and we get a big pot of money, we can do something here. And yeah. it's just, you know, so there was an opportunity that that could have happened. And certainly he's a pretty key figure in their club and history was, was happy for that or wanted that to happen. And, you know, it's just there, wasn't it? It was, it, it was there for the taking and you wonder where we'd be. Yeah, that's right. That's that's absolutely right. Um, he is a key figure, and we we can look at uh, their history before he took over as coach. Um, they, they, Which we've done twice already, but we'll do it again. Oh, we'll do it again. <laughs> 80, 80, 82, when he when he took over as as coach in nineteen eighty two. Uh, sorry, when the when they came into the comp in nineteen eighty two, uh, they came thirteenth, twelfth, ninth. Thirteenth, uh, which was the wooden spoon, wooden spoon again in eighty six. Thirteenth, eleventh uh, in eighty seven. Thirteenth in eighty eight. Sixteenth, which was last in eighty nine, uh, and ninth in nineteen ninety. They finished eighth in Murray's first year in nineteen ninety one, and then had this run in nineteen ninety two, uh, where they finished third in the Premiership table, twenty seven points. Uh, they had the best defence in the league, which is saying something given that Brisbane ran away with the minor premiership by six points. Their defence was better than theirs. Uh, they only conceded 259 points in 22 regular season games. Uh, and the crowds turned out. Their average crowd was 13,750, mm. which is very good going in the early 90s. It's not, to be honest, not bad going now. Uh, but it's well, You want to good... compare that to the sides in the middle of Sydney at that time. Um, oh, yeah. I'd be surprised if that isn't double. Yeah. Um, pretty like the average of most of the inner city teams. Well, I've got some, I mean, St George um, finished second, and it was their first run into the finals in a lot of years, and they, they their average crowd was only ten thousand eight hundred. So yeah. that's a fair yeah. sign um, of yeah. of what it was like. Uh, yeah, but that it you know it demonstrates the kind of effect Murray had because he came in they yeah. and and straightened them up, and they had a run like they'd never had before. Uh, Not to preach to the choir, but um, Jeezy's got a good record as a rugby league coach. Um, having done that, having then taken the Mariners to a World Club Challenge and then going to the Cowboys, who possibly are the only club that can rival that for 
history of not being any good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Their history and taking them to a grand final and a series of finals and things like that. He is just, his record as a rugby league coach and particularly coaching teams that have no business being yeah. any good and weren't any good before he got there and weren't any good in a lot of cases after he was there. Yeah. Um, it's just outstanding. And we've spoken before about different types of coaches um, and how, you know, there's probably coaches what, what maybe a coach like this or a coach other coaches that have had this role maybe they couldn't do what Wayne Bennett does and like make sure the best team is always at the top you know like Wayne, yeah. Wayne's got a history of taking really good teams and making sure they win um and and you know Trent Robinson now is like coached the best east side and managed to he's got the best team but he keeps them up every year they're always good and and maybe some of these guys couldn't do that but it's important that rugby league fans people out there acknowledge that those sorts of coaches also probably can't do this. It's a real talent to take a team that is not the best team, that is not a strong culture, that doesn't have all the best players and can't buy all the best players and still get a result. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, that, and that was his thing. I mean, you look at his career, he, he did it over and over again. Um, lifted kind of sides that had never done any good. Uh, they, they also, it's something I just have to mention with regards to the 1992 Illawarra Steelers, uh, it would be, it would be remiss of me not to, uh, is that they won the Tui's preseason Challenge Cup uh, in a four points to two victory over Brisbane in front of 9,943 at Dubbo. Uh, yeah. Yeah, wow. Well, that would have been a big... No wonder the crowds were out. Well, exactly. That, that sets a tone for the season, doesn't it? Um, and, and there was a bit of history to this. So in 1989, they'd made the pre-season cup final, back then the Panasonic Cup. Uh, Brisbane got out to a 16-0 lead. The Steelers came back at them and ended up losing 22-20. to um, And large Illawarra contingent of Parramatta booed the Broncos off after the win with Brisbane captain Wally Lewis give, drawing their ire by gesturing back. Um, that loss, <laughs> Gazzy, that, get this... That performance inspired Australian folk singer John Williamson to write a song about the match entitled The Night the well, Steelers... We got that? Well, no, we haven't, and I've done some searching. I can't find it. It's titled The Night the Steelers Nearly Beat the Broncos. <laughs> <laughs> it's good, that. And if anyone's got it, if, anyone, if anyone's got it out there, if anyone can find it, if someone's got it on tape, I know you, for example, have got the... Uh, you know, the, the Knights uh, 97 yeah. CD. If anyone's got mm. a copy of John Williamson's The Night the Steelers Nearly Beat the Broncos, please get in touch with it. We will play it. We'll do a separate episode just on that song. Um, Is there a suggestion or any criticism that that title might be a bit too abstract? <laughs> Yeah, like that's not, yeah. Well, this is—it's not clear enough yeah. what they're what yeah, it's referring what to. The song's about yeah. Yeah. So yes, they got their first and only piece of silverware in '92. The Steelers four points to two over Brisbane in the challenge in the Tui's Cup final. Mm. Um, yeah, which as I say, it really lights the fuse for the year. We should talk a little bit about St George, who were the other team in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, they finished second in 1992, 30 points, uh, very good defence as well. Only conceded 283, 15 wins and seven losses. Uh, their run. Uh, they run to the finals. They lost 18-16 to Illawarra in the first mm. week of the semis. So uh, St. George and Illawarra finishing second and third. They played off in the first week of the finals. Illawarra got them 18-16. Illawarra lost to Brisbane in the second week of the semis, uh, 22-12. St. George had to play a knockout game and beat Newcastle three points to two. Um, That's a contest. Isn't it just? A, a Peter yeah. Coyne field goal uh, got them over the line there. 
in uh, to, to beat Newcastle three two in a trialist semi final. Isn't that going to get? Wouldn't that have got people back to the games? Um, and then I'll tell you what, it'd be up for a Knights uh, Knights Steelers uh, semi prelim or something would have been pretty exciting at that yeah, time. Right, absolutely. Well, this is the this is the thing about this season: three non Sydney teams out of the five in the semi finals. Mm. Um, Brisbane, Illawarra, and Newcastle. It's a funny year uh, mm. because Brisbane finished first by a long way, six points clear, um, with like a t- plus two hundred points difference. Scored a hundred more points than anyone else. All of this. Mm. None of the premiers from nineteen eighty onwards made the finals. It's funny, isn't it? So I think I'm pretty sure this is the year Ricky Stewart broke his ankle. Yeah, right. um, and I'm pretty sure I, I don't quote me. I think it is because there's. I think they got dicked by the salary cap, like cheating it the year after they um, after their last grand final. I'm pretty sure that's right. So they're in. Uh, I think '91 was their last grand final. Then they got done for the cap in '92, and they come back in '93. And I'm pretty sure Ricky breaks his ankle when he was on the field when the score was like 60 to nil or something. Like they were up. Oh yeah, that's nil. That's '93. Yeah. yeah, that's the following year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, that's '93. Sorry, yeah. So yeah, my yeah. bad on that. So no, '92's the cap year. Sorry, I got that wrong. Yeah, '92. So confused on my years. '92's that they're out for the cap, or they got really busted or ripped apart by the salary cap. So they could have made it. They just had to shed players and stuff, and so they were yeah. quite weak. And and Penrith had gone through. Um, um, gone through the Brandy, like Brandy's brother sort of thing. So um, they'd had the Ben Alexander thing and had their team ripped apart um, yeah. the, as well. So you had this weird situation where you had like the dominant team of basically for the last five years um, ripped apart for basically cheating. And yeah. then the prem- the premiers pulled apart by, by sort of incredibly off sad off field tragedy. So it's a bit of a weird, weird circumstance there, isn't it? Yeah. It's a bizarre season. And if you look at the top five, uh, mm. Brisbane a long way away, and then St George, Illawarra, Newcastle, and Wests. Wests filled the last spot. Um, it's wonderful that. And yeah. so you had no those great sides of the eighties: Canterbury, Parramatta, all of them. They're not in there. Um, uh, you know, the, the as you say, Penrith and Canberra from the early nineties aren't there. Manly aren't there. Uh, yeah, and so this is it. It's a it's a very strange kind of season. Ninety two. Um, mm. Uh, what else did I have to tell you? Oh, yes. Uh, St. George were coming off a few lean years themselves. Uh, after losing 7-6 in the grand final in 85 under Roy Masters, uh, they then came 7th, 10th, 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 12th and 9th um, from 86 to 91. So they'd been quite a way out of the finals. Uh, Brian Smith had taken over in 91, much like Graham Murray, and, uh, and they'd finished 9th. So just behind Illawarra, actually, that season. Uh, and so they... A similar story for both teams, really, that um, yeah. a new new coach had taken over in 91 and then they were starting to come good in 92. Uh, and so after, yeah, do go on. One thing on the Dragons, just I think what needs to be acknowledged is that we're in sort of the middle, of, so still early, but in the middle of the sort of constant chat of Bath's babes, like as being the last <laughs> premiership. Yes. Um, which <laughs> thankfully like Wayne Bennett's one gift to humanity was ending like the chat of Bath's babes. Bath's babes, George yeah. winning, winning another premiership. Um, finally, at last, that we are sort of still in, in the midst here where that has to be mentioned sort of any time. Like, Absolutely. Go anywhere near the finals. We have to talk of possible Bath's babes, like best side since Bath's babes or ending the curse since Bath's babes, etc. Yeah, absolutely. And I thank you for bringing that up. It, it is important mm. that you do that. Uh, and so this was the so this game this is this is the preliminary final to get into the grand final. Uh, St George had won their way through with the win over Newcastle, and the Steelers had got their way through having beaten Saints in the first round and then lost to Brisbane. Um, just to give you an idea of what a defence 
based side the Steelers were. I'd like you to have a guess for me. You've just watched their game. You've just watched their preliminary final performance. Can you have a guess for me who the top try scorer was for the Illawarra Steelers in 1992? Probably no one. I'm going to guess that it wasn't Wishard because he's got hands like feet. Um, I I don't know. (laughs) I've got no idea. Maybe the centre. Who's the other centre? Not Mary. Um, Uh, Rodwell. Rodwell, yeah. Rodwell was pretty sharp. I'm pleased to inform you that it was John Cross. Was it? Yeah, with nine. <laughs> he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't. Rem- he doesn't remember any of them. We'll get to that no, in a minute. No, exactly. Um, it's, it's yeah. They they didn't strike me as they would have scored many points uh, having watched that game. Yeah, no, they uh, were a, they were a dogged kind of tackling side, and that's probably yep. why their second rower lock uh, was the top try scorer with nine. Oddly, the top point scorer was Ryan Girdler, who then didn't play in this game. Uh, I had a look. He, he played on the bench. He'd been in the starting side in and out all year on the wing and in the centres. Uh, but once everyone was back and fit, he was on the bench and didn't get, either was on the bench and didn't get on or, or wasn't picked at all for this game. Mm. Well, you could sit people on the bench back then and they only come up on the team sheet if they got on. So I'd say he was on the bench. Um, yeah. I'm going to call that, a, you know, knowing what we know now about Ryan Gerdler, I might call that a slight err based on the back line. I, I, um, think, I, yeah. I know they're all very fondly thought of, but there's a little bit of a lack of spark at times in the Illawarra back line, you might say. Yeah, um, I think that's reasonable. Know, I, know, I know a lot of them are fondly remembered, but there's, yeah, that they possibly could have used for someone with the sort of class and finishing of Brian Girdler out there on that field. Um, but, I suppose, yeah. no, I, I think uh, if, we, if we're going to get in the game in a minute, before we jump, can I give you a couple of just generally odd observations about, oh, about this game? Or certainly, I insist. Um, I think, firstly, I want to really point out that um, jersey-wise, it's important to make any jersey observations. Um, not much point commenting on the Steelers jerseys just because the Steelers just were one of the great teams of just wearing the same jersey year on year. Um, but it is a great jersey. But uh, of the Dragons, so the Dragons have constantly had the same jersey, so it's very hard to comment mm. on this as well. But the Penfold is the best Dragons jersey. It is, yes, um, absolutely. I don't think we, without... Yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a Cochra Motors or something in the mid-90s, which isn't bad. It's um, yeah. really garishly written. But the Penfold is the peak of the Dragons jerseys. Um, they should always wear that same jersey. But Penfold, yep. for whatever reason, much better than all of the other things you could have written on it. Um, and just look at a couple of random things about the game. Can I just say, I, th- I found a bugbear of mine in this game or a, you know, an off point that I think I possibly haven't mentioned before, which is, yes. un- okay. you know, <coughs> getting hard to imagine. Point. Yeah, by yeah, episode so, 30 or whatever it is. Yeah. Charge downs are fucking stupid and you shouldn't go for them and they're not admirable. <laughs> There was five of them in this game, and all of them, all of them were six against to the team that kicked yeah. the ball. And it always had the like, percentage-wise, and for every Billy Peden charge down to tie a game versus the Warriors, thank you very much. Get out of it with the draw. Nine mm. of them go the other way. Uh, with, well, with a minute to go, you possibly got to try it on. But in general, you should not charge the ball down. It's a hangover from the seventies where they were obsessed with kicking the ball to the opposition and having it down the other end when there was yep. a proper contest for possession. In this, like in these games, all that happened and the the Steelers gave lost this 3-2. They, they gave away, but they also gave away the first two. So they kicked it. They charged down two kicks at around halfway that just gave the Dragons six again. Yeah. Um, they do another one late in the game, and the Dragons do two in between. And none of them suit the team that's done the charge down. All it does is give the other team another five tackles. And generally that will happen because the kicker kicks it. And all of these players are standing in the general vicinity of the charge down. But that'll generally be how it works. Yeah. Is that... 
you're diving to put your hands up and whack a ball to a team that has another 12 players standing vaguely near the kicker. That's a, I, I, it's, point, it's pointless. It shouldn't be done. It's a it's low percentage play. Oh, I'm with you. I do, yeah. I, I I grew up. I mean, they're very exciting when they happen. Yeah, and, and everyone claps it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's it is a hangover, and it's a hangover of you know, because it's kind of seen as heroic to put your face in front of the ball, you know, in front of the kick. Yeah. And but yeah, I mean, it is also it's it's as you quite rightly point out, uh, it is it's very often counterproductive. Um, yeah, and I, I, that's no, that's entirely fair. And uh, just one, just one more observation. I, I, there's something very endearing about this era of football, which was very common around this time, is pointless runarounds. This, yeah. this game is littered with really well telegraphed, like well in advance <laughs> telegraphed runarounds, where someone throws a massive spiral, and the second he throws it, he starts motoring backwards and behind, and the guy who catches it props, stops and looks inside and waits for the guy who's thrown the long ball to get all the way to the other side of him and then pops it back outside. And yeah. everyone can see that they're going to do it. You can see, I, because I, I love them. And as soon as the first guy passes, I go, oh, run around here. Because he yeah. just throws it and they motor in a way they never do unless they're doing a run around and sits <laughs> backwards in the arc. The guy catches it, props, yeah. and you just see him waiting, like one, two, three, four, boom, out the other side. And it's just... They should be brought back. They're a wonderful concept. I don't think they ever work or ever do no. anything. But no, you're they're right. Fantastic. They're fantastic. They are fantastic. I mean, they're very pretty, but, but as yeah. you say, more or less totally pointless. Um, yeah, that's entirely fair. All of those observations are absolutely, I'm, I'm behind you on all of them. Um, before we get into the, the substance of the game, and of course, this is a 4 0 win to St. George um, with one try and a missed conversion, but like the, the try being the only points. Um, so it's there's there's a bit to get through, but um, the, I just I wanted that there are three kind of player of the year medals awarded in 1992. We've got the Dally M, the Rothmans Medal, and the Rugby League Week Player of the Year. Um, each of them was won by a different player. Would you like to have a stab at who? At you know, would you like to bandy about a couple of names who might have won Player of the Year in 1992? I think Alan Langer won the Rothmans off the top of my head. Is that right? That's right. Well done. Mm. I don't know who won the other two. Okay. The, uh, the Dally M was won by Gary Freeman. The um, Wiz. The Wiz. He written his book yet? He hadn't written his you, book yet. We wouldn't have. No. Well, this should have been part of the title. What, what is it? Tiger, Tiger. Well, so, yeah. For those who don't know, uh, Gary Freeman titled his book after every team he played for, Tiger, Tiger, Kiwi Rooster. <laughs> mm. One of the greatest names. Again, a bit abstract, but it's one of the best names of a book that I've personally ever come across and I, I well, urge you all to get it. Yeah. I'd imagine you'd be able to get it on Booktopia, Book Depository, you know, oh, it's hard to find these days. They're pretty sold out, but when they go into reprint, you can sometimes, if you're quick, you might be able to grab a copy. Yeah. Geez. Wouldn't the original copies be worth a bit now? Um, oh yeah. 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 That's a retirement. That's your superannuation. <laughs> he was actually, so here's a fact about Gary Freeman. So he, he, he won it playing for East. Gary Freeman played for three Tigers teams. The Northcote mm. Tigers, the Castleford Tigers, and the Balmain Tigers. Yeah, see, I'm not sure why I didn't call it Tiger, 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 Kiwi Rooster. It, exactly. Like to, if, we can, if anyone's got a line to whiz, can we find that out? Yeah, he also subsequently played for Penrith and Parramatta. So it should yeah, really so have been don't get in there. Tiger, Tiger, yeah. Tiger, Kiwi Rooster, Panther, Eel. I wonder, I wonder, I, which, I, I think we need a cemetery investigation into which tiger was left out. Not only why wasn't it all of them, but which tiger doesn't he rate? Yeah. Which one is he not counting? Yeah. yeah. What an interesting question. 
I yeah, I don't know. It, 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 that seems like a terrible omission. Uh, yeah, so he won the Daly M in '92. Mm. Alan Langer won the Rothmans Medal, but the Rugby League Week Player of the Year, my very good friends, in the year of our Lord 1992, was none other than yesterday's hero, Paul Langmack. Oh yeah, yeah, Langers. Yeah, that's a wonderful area, isn't it? Isn't it good? I thought you'd like that. It's one of my favourite rugby league heads of all time. Like, in terms of what heads should look like in rugby league, that's what they should look like. That's what everyone who plays rugby league's head should look like. Yeah. Is that an unfair comment? No, not at all. He's got a, it's brutalist architecture. Yeah. 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 Yeah, He does. It's, it's, it's sensational head. Anyway, I thought you'd, I just thought you'd like that little, that little bit of detail from 1992, a better time in many ways where Paul Langer. Where did East finish? That's a question. Uh, Because it's just interesting that two. Yeah, two halfbacks getting, you know, usually when someone like the Broncos have stormed through in the minor premiership and ultimately won the comp, it's odd for another halfback to sort of displace the, mm. the, the sort of best team's halfback as player of their year, sort of year, you know what I mean? Yeah, they won, um, they finished, I mean, it can happen, but it's odd, yeah. Finished sixth on 20 minutes, so a point out of the five. Mm. Yeah, point But they, were very, very, they weren't a good side, so maybe had a bit of an impact, you know, with some, you know, they weren't, at that era, they weren't much of it, they weren't a great side, so maybe he's come in and sort of, yeah, done a bang up job and got a lot they of points, won, which does happen. Mm. Only won twelve, lost ten. So they, he must have uh, he yeah. must have got a lot of points when they did win. Uh, mm. There you go. Now uh, this is the first nineteen ninety two, the first year on Channel Nine uh, after the move from Channel Ten, and so we have the the eternal commentary team of Rabs, Sterlo, and Fatty uh, with Blocker on the sideline. Blocker, as per usual, more or less only ever commenting on uh, the forwards. And, and the front row battle and which forwards look like, you know, uh, charging into which forwards, which was good. Well, what um, else matters? What well, else this matters? is it. This is it. Everything else is detail. Um, that's for other people. Just talk about the props. Yeah. Uh, Greg McCallum refereeing this game. Second episode in a, in, a, uh, in a row that we've done with Greg McCallum as referee. Uh, mm. the, the beard not looking any better in 92 than it did in 94. Uh, <clears throat> I, I thought as they ran out, it was a pretty packed crowd. I thought the noise was fantastic at this game. It was really raucous when they ran out onto the field. Um, you know, Illawarra obviously sent a lot of a lot of supporters up, and so George obviously mm. pretty keen to be there after a few years out of the finals. It was really, I thought, it was a really good atmosphere. They, these days at the old Sydney Football Stadium, when it was full, um, playing big finals there with, particularly with Sydney teams playing each other, or, or Sydney and, and Wollongong team in this case. It, it did have a really great sense of occasion, didn't it? Yeah, it's wonderful. So it's from a different era. You, you still hear the ground announcer calling stuff out, random stuff during the game and all that sort of thing. It's a lovely old sort of quaint Sydney feel to it, the whole thing with the crowd rising up. It's wonderful. Yeah. It's without the fake sort of, it's without the fake fanfare of now. It just has the natural um, anticipation of sort of a crowd of people that are really happy to be there and hoping their team win without the fireworks and the flashy sponsorship all around the ground and you know what I mean and the yeah, 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 build yeah. up this this is finals football stuff and it's just all really really natural and, and really lovely feeling. I yeah I don't remember being at games like that in the nineties where you go with that really just natural big feel for a daytime game in the finals and you're up and about yeah. and it's 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 lovely. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah and so the game kicks off um and we're we're gonna talk a bit about the actual match itself. Uh mm. this this prelim final uh it's Straight away, it's tough and hard, um, and weird things are happening sort of straight away. Uh, John Cross is doing the kicking. 
um, gets absolutely clobbered high and like very late by Michael Beattie. Um, a prop takes an intercept. Craig Tietzel takes an intercept off, off Noel Goldthorpe. Uh, there's a bizarre moment in which Mick Potter does really well to get out of his in goal. Off a, there's, a, there's a kick from Mick Neal down into the corner. Potter does really well to get out of his in goal, plays the ball. Brent Rodwell strikes at it, kicks it like Brett Rodwell at marker, strikes at it, manages to kick it back into the in goal, and Ricky Walford's trapped and it's a goal line dropout. That was wonderful. I really enjoyed that. So did I. Yeah. <laughs> why, did, why isn't that allowed anymore? <laughs> I know, it should be around. It was, it was fantastic. It really was. Because it just, um, it just, I was just quite stunned. I was like, hang on, what's it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fantastic. I, um, yeah, bring back contested possession at the, the ruck, I say. 1000%. Yeah, but it is it's just straight away there is just weird stuff happening. Not, very few things weirder than Dean Skiffer Liddy, uh, who decides to contribute to a tackle on Neil Tierney by coming over the top with the wildest of swinging arms, uh, with a closed fist, too, it should be noted, uh, and s- somehow misses his head completely, which is lucky because it would have been a send off at best and mm. a, like a full-blown decapitation at worst your criminal charge yeah yeah i thought i'll tell you what the one the one the john cross one wasn't much better that was an elbow he kicked the ball and 10 seconds later got like leading elbowed yeah head and knocked out cold and couldn't get up for like a minute and they sort of played on and then they got skiffily sort of 10 minutes later for missing like with, with yeah. an abhorrent attempt don't get me wrong but it like it wasn't any worse like except the only difference was he didn't connect like it, it yeah, I, I don't know. There was there was some very inconsistent rulings on high tackles, I must say, in this game. And it was. this one was a shocking attempt. But they let a lot of go. They let a lot go that connected on, on the so presumably on the bounced up premise. Um, but sort of yeah. the intent was enough here. He intended to, and they sort of got him for you know a, a t- intending to kill someone, but not actually doing it. Yeah, and that's right. And it, it was it was very strange the way that they. I thought the whole referee, the whole game was refereed weirdly, to be honest with you. But it, yeah. the the first kind of real moment of 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 real excitement in the game, or the first moment of kind of drama, uh, comes after about seven minutes. It's off that dropout forced by the Brent Rodwell strike at marker, uh, and it's Steve Waddell. Now I didn't know a lot about Steve Waddell coming into this game, but he had an absolute blinder in this, particularly in the first ten or fifteen minutes. He made some huge charges. Um, and this is the best of them all. He gets an offload from, I think, from Tietzel, very close to the line, 20 out, and just starts busting through tackles, shrugging people off, and is finally dragged down a couple of yards short of the line. And off the next play, they go wide, create some space. And Rod Wishart, who was pretty convincingly voted the most popular stealer of all time uh, in our poll on Facebook through the week, drops it cold with the line, if not wide open, then certainly well and truly a jar. Yeah, he would have scored. Uh, he's got terrible hands. Um, I loved what Rod Wishart as a kid, but haven't watched him play much as an adult until we watched the uh, we watched him in the Fatty's Miracle Origin game yeah. with him. And we've watched this one. Can I say, having what he doesn't do anything good in the Origin game, so I was a bit off him. Having watched this game, I'll make very clear, I'll start with the positives and say, I can see why everyone loves him. Like He's an absolute goer. Um, he does everything at this really warped speed. There's only a few people that 
their legs look like they're moving that fast. Michael Hancock's one where they look like their legs are just constantly in motion and going too fast for their body. And like, it's all effort and yeah, yeah, energy. Yeah. And, and he does that and he bursts onto the ball. Whenever he gets it, he's, he's hitting it often when he doesn't need to even, he hits it at a million miles an hour. Like he gets the ball and goes bang straight onto it. And he takes a lot of hit ups for a winger in that era. So I can see why everyone loves him, but God, he's got bad hands, like atrocious hands. <laughs> Like terrible, terrible hands. And I'm he glad. He drops a try in that Origin game. And yes. he does it again here. He, like, he's got... And he doesn't, like, fumble it. He's, it's like he's got two saucepan lids stuck on the end of his hands. <laughs> and he's just clapping them together when the ball comes near him. Um, there's a play soon after this where they pin him in their own half on tackle one. They tackle the fullback, Riolo, near the sideline. And Wishart tries to throw it one in for the hit-up and, like, hits the guy on the boot laces, sitting five metres away. And you just forget that in these amateur errors... I'm not having a go at him, but they didn't all have the level of skill at all the things they can do now. They they, yeah. they couldn't all just pass and catch and stuff. He was just a winger and he was fast. And as I said, I want to make very clear, I can see why they liked him because he was, he, he was so, like, he was really enthusiastic and keen and he made a lot of breaks and got you on your feet. And I would have loved a guy like that at Newcastle for sure. But Jesus Christ, saucepan lens stuck on his hands. Seriously. Well, and I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you brought up 1995 State of Origin 1, Gazzy. Mm. Because yeah. not only does he do it in, in that game, but he does it in very similar circumstances in the first few minutes with the line wide open. Remember, it's in a, a game they lose by less than a, you know, a try. Yeah. By a game they lose by less than a mm. try and in a game in which they don't score a point. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, remember, yeah. it's off that John's kick. It's, it's Joey John's gets mm. the ball and bombs it to the corner and wish out with a line wide open, just drops it. Mm. And you think, oh, well, it's early days. And then they never score mm. in the whole game. And, it's, and, and I put it to you, my learned colleague, mm. we've, we've been talking a bit about things that we've learned during this cemetery mm. journey. One thing I have learned is that if Rod Wishart shells a golden opportunity to score in the first few minutes, you won't be scoring at all. Well, that's, that's very true. You start to get your money on, if we're on sports bet, you get really on the mid-game, the mid-game betting at this point while the odds yeah. are all right. But um, the, the other thing, I suppose, that in... It's going to sound like I'm criticising. In mitigation of his drops in both that games, I'm not backing him to kick the goal. In this, <laughs> in this one particularly, I'm not, I think it would have been four all and at least gone to extra time, but they wouldn't necessarily have won because um, goal kickers in that era were fairly abhorrent. And there's, there's a year, I'm trying to remember what year it is, but there's a wonderful call one year where they talk about Rod Wishard's goal kicking percentage. You might have told me about it. Yeah. Did you, were you the one who told me about it? Yeah, I Where think it was 90, like, might be 97. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, so they've really worked on his kicking and he's really come up like and really improved it and it gets it to 70% or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's about base par for being a bad goal kicker now. <laughs> but but um, again, I want to make very clear that I, I don't want to be seen as really anti-Rod Wishard at all because I... I, it, I loved even in this game what loved watching him play like it's it's um yeah. whenever they hit him he gets it at pace doesn't he? he's flying oh, yeah. at, he's at, at every he's run kamik- and one of those yeah. kamikaze kind of runs yeah yeah it's wonderful but um we'll yeah get to hands, it later no, on. He, no the, the mm. best of him is seen later on when yeah. he, he makes a break off, off mary mcgregor's flick pass in the second half which we will yeah. talk about in a bit but where he just hits yeah. it at this blinding pace and it's like oh we're on yeah. here he probably um, makes three line breaks in that second half, all of them yeah. where he's just, if you were hitting it at 5% less quick, you just might not have done it. Like if you were no. just hitting the ball at three quarter pace and then looking to hit full stride, you maybe don't, but he's hitting it at a hundred percent just every time, not worried about where anyone is, but yeah, it's um, not, a, not his best moment. This one, he should have swallowed that. I just, yeah. And uh, Sterlo prescient remark. They're the kind of opportunities you hope don't come back to haunt you. 
Yeah, it's good that. Um, on that, that's something I meant to mention in my general observation. So I see there's a Sterlowism um, in this game later on that I'd forgotten he does, and I should have mentioned at some point already because he's absolute special for this. There's, there's a, um, a an attacking raid later in the game where a very bad final pass is thrown, yep. and Sterlow busts out that like um, that pass didn't need to be thrown, which yeah. <laughs> I had a dollar for any time Peter Sterling said that you'd be a very, very wealthy man. Like they're yeah. waiting for some sort of attacking play. Someone, you know, that, that last guy sees a guy coming through and support. It's not really on. And he goes, no, nah, I've got to throw this and throws it. And it's the inevitable Sterlo. Oh, that pass didn't need to be thrown then. Yeah. You didn't no, throw no, that no, pass there. <laughs> there's, a, there's a great call from Rabs as well, who presciently says, we're going to be in for an exciting afternoon. Both sides are spreading the ball. Now, that sounds very funny now that we know this game ended 4-0. <laughs> yeah. um, but he's not, yeah. he sort of isn't wrong. At the same time, this is an exciting... Like, there is a lot of ball movement and a lot of half, like a lot of half chances in this game. There's just none of them end up in yeah. tries, you know? Yeah. There's, 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 um, we don't have a video ref, so we can't say disallowed tries. But there's four or five, I think. Sorry, five times that a try would have been scored that it was pulled back for a yep. forward pass or, or, or knock on or something where um, it's not a chance they would have scored. Like they were either did score, like they were over the yeah. line when it got called back or they were unmarked and about to score when yep. the play got called back. So there was like, you know, if, if all of those were tries and then, the, the result would have been like 20 something to 20 something, you know what I mean? So yeah. there was a lot of chances. I, I would say, I think the thing for me, was that this was a very exciting game where everyone chanced their hand. Can I put it to you that there was just a lack of class? If you really went through both teams, that yeah, they, they were all tried hard and they tried to spread the ball and they tried to put it on, but the backs on both teams weren't super fast. Mm. Or, it wasn't slick, um, was it? The, the, yeah, like when, once you spread it, the, the back lines didn't have like you know a Steve Renoff or someone to take advantage of it. The halves were good players, but not great players. The forwards were good players, but not great. You, you know what I mean? So they yeah. tried to play this game and to be enterprising, and they got around the field. But there was just a little bit of like competition-winning class on either team to make it all click into place and and make it be three or four tries. Yeah, is that, that's, that unfair? Absolutely. No, that's that's pretty much right. Um, I just want to give, before we move on, I just want to give a quick note on Steve Waddell, uh, who, mm. I, as I say, I, I wasn't aware of, had never seen him play before. He, he kind of retired just as I was starting mm. to watch football. Uh, 89 first grade games from 88 to 97 played for uh, played for the Steelers and the Panthers. He actually came over to the Steelers from the Panthers uh, in 92. Uh, after the, the Panthers Premiership. He only played two games for Penrith in 91. Um, but uh, he was their best, and he was the Illawarra best and fairest in 1992, uh, having only played, so he, between, from having moved, having started with Penrith in 88, he played 17 games in four years, moved to Illawarra and became their best and fairest in 1992. Uh, and so it's just kind of, I just thought that was nice in the sense that this was his, this was his year, you know what I mean, and his moment, and making a line break in the preliminary final would have been would have seemed very unlikely when he was battling away in in Penrith lower grades. Well, that's that's the thing that that sort of thing. This is getting towards the end of the time that could happen because in amateur football, for whatever reason, a lot of people didn't move. Um, yeah. So you could have quite good players in reserve grade because you could be um, if you're in Sydney and you you know your halfback was a rep level halfback or a really good halfback, you could be easily in the top thirteen halfbacks in the 
competition if it was 13 teams, 14 teams, whatever it was at the time. Um, yeah. But maybe you're the eighth or ninth or 10th best and you just go, well, I work, my job's in, you know, um, Penrith, my family's in Penrith and I can't really move to Manly. There's not much money in it. Like, yeah, I'd be the Manly halfback. Manly's a bad example because they're usually pretty rich, but yeah, maybe I'd be the North halfback or maybe I'd be the West halfback, but I wouldn't be living in Penrith and that's where my job is and my family is. And yeah, that that's right. Thing. Whereas Absolutely. now, if you're the 10th best halfback in the NRL, you're shipping out to New Zealand to play or you go to the Titans to play. If that's who offers you a contract, you're not going to play yeah. reserve grade for no. Eastern suburbs. If you can play first grade somewhere else, cause it's a, a paid profession. But back then these things, did you could have guys that generally could be, you know, good first grade players just for whatever reason, playing reserve grade. Cause it suited their sort of their lifestyle and the other stuff going on. Cause they were going to work and they're, you know, it's, yeah, it's not yeah. really worth it. Yeah. Playing first grade over it would be nice but that's not how i make my craft and it's not what i do with my time it's sort of in a way this is my hobby sort of mm. like it's yeah. bigger than that but it's a, in a way it's, it's your not, hobby isn't it it's, like, yeah. yeah it's it's yeah. it's a yeah that's right um, and that's Stephen, just ending at this time isn't it sort of yeah it, one more well, comment it's, a, it's about the end of travis he's not he's the father of <sighs> he's the father of Corey. Yeah, but he, he but he but he he passed away. He died of a heart attack, age forty five, in in two thousand twelve. Yeah, when Corey was only fifteen. But he's he's the father of Corey Waddell. Who Corey's has, a good player. Corey's a good player. player. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's been playing with Manly, and he's going to Canterbury yep. next year, and yeah, oh, this yep. year next year. Um, but yeah, Steve Waddell. I just thought I should mention him, um, as this was you know sometimes you one of the things about watching old games is you you learn about people you never knew about, and you see them kind of having their moments. Um, and this yeah, was, absolutely this was definitely absolutely. his. Uh, now, in the 13th minute, now we've, we've mentioned already the first Skiffalini wild swinging arm. Um, in the 13th minute, he does it again. As and not, a, do and, and not only down. does it again, does it at Neil Tierney again and, and, and misses again. Did Neil Tierney, was he involved in the John Cross incident or any other untoward incident? We can see he seems to have really upset him somehow yeah he seemed to have really taken against him it wasn't him yeah. that, that attacked john cross now that was it wasn't him no i wonder if it was just he was involved in something we missed around because there was a lot of uh a lot of nick a lot of elbows and swinging arms and stuff and facials i wonder if he just got got someone at some point yeah because you know, it, seem it be, seems a bit personal <laughs> yeah they seem to be attacking his head quite a lot that kind of thing. yeah yeah <laughs> anyway <laughs> i don't know what that was about but it was very odd um and shortly after this in the 15th minute, oh, this is possibly the worst decision of the game. So George have a try disallowed. Uh, this game kind of is remembered mostly for tries that Illawarra had disallowed. But this one's an absolute stinker. It's a bomb, uh, which is completely left alone by the Illawarra players as, and is allowed to kind of land five metres out from their goal line. Uh, Priddle, the big front rower, tries to catch it. Now, referee Greg McCallum will tell you that he dropped it in trying to catch it, that it brushed his fingers on the way down. Uh, but he, in any event, it bounces. It bounces into the in goal. The St George players try to bat, uh, the Illawarra players try to bat it dead. It doesn't go dead. And uh, Scott Goulet, God, it's good to see Scott Goulet again. Uh, mm. Scott Goulet falls on the ball and scores. McCallum calls it back for a knock on. Now, I watched the replay a couple of times. I'm not convinced he touched it at all. Missed it by a fair way. It does a try. Yeah. That's the um. That's the one. I think there's some other bad no tries, but that's the worst one by mine. That's yeah. the clear one. He doesn't get near that. He misses that by several yeah. centimeters. Several centimeters. It doesn't go that close to his hand. That was a try. Yeah, that was a clear try. So that's the first disallowed. Right, as you say, there are about five in the game. That's the first one. Then mm. in the twenty second minute, they're denied again. 
Uh, it's a teeny offload to Brad Mackay. Mackay straight onto the field, first touch of the game, gets an offload from Tierney, sp- clean, clean through into space. He's, he's got the fullback to beat with an extra man. If he didn't score, the bloke he would have passed to would have, and it's called back for a forward pass. It wasn't an obvious forward pass. It might have been. I won't second guess that one. He was in an okay spot, but it was. It wasn't blatant. It was pretty close. No, um, I, yeah, I had it written as say, borderline. That one it was close. Yeah, I think that's fair. Brad Mackay warrants mentioning because yeah. Brad Mackay. I I'm very happy to be proven wrong here, but he may be the only person to have played for both clubs and the merger. Oh, I reckon you're probably right there. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I reckon if I, I, I'm happy to be proven wrong because I don't claim any, any huge expertise on this, but there can't have been that many players that played for St. George and for Illawarra because, you know, when the Super League will, rolls around, they all get signed on, on contracts. So from about 95, 96, there wouldn't have been cl- players shifting from ARL club to other ARL club very often. No, that would have been really. quite rare. So you've got to have been around at about 93, 94, 95 and have gone from one club to the other, gone from St. George to Illawarra or, or vice versa, and then still been playing when they merge. Yep. Um, That's a pretty of course narrow the, class. Yeah. yeah. And he's a Western red as well, which got, which warrants mentioning. He's a very good player, but I think that's a, that I, I'd be surprised if he isn't the only one to have done that. Um, you want to know another random fact about Brad McCart? By all means. So he, I think it's the 94 kangaroo tour he makes. Yeah. Um, I haven't be corrected on that, but he plays for Australia in a joint team with everyone available. And I'm pretty sure it's that kangaroo tour and then doesn't make the world cup with ARL players <laughs> only. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's the 94 kangaroo tour he makes. I'm, I'm going to uh, let me check that now, but I'm pretty sure that's correct. Um, which is just funny, isn't it? So when the Super League players um, didn't weren't available, he didn't make it. And having been on a on a full blown kangaroo tour, oh, so we made so it in 1990, and then it's 1990. According to rugby league, project, he was dropped to the reserves to make way for Brad Clyde in the State of Origin team in '94, and paid a high price for St George's lacklustre season when he failed to make his second kangaroo tour. Yeah, there, you, well, there go. you go. So, so he played. So th- there you go. That, that's pretty poignant, isn't it? So he was a kangaroo tourist. I know that's five years. I know that's now five years old. So it makes a little bit more sense. But half the competition was out. Yeah. Half the competition wasn't available in 1995. So he ma- he makes a kangaroo tour. Then he's in the New South Wales joint team in 1994. Um, was, uh, albeit as a reserve or whatever. And he can't make the ARL side that just had like it was New South Wales players in particular that were gone. Um, across, you know what I mean, and yeah, you can't yeah. make can't can't make it across in this. Um, so uh, most of the team, he made the New South Wales side. It gets gutted, and he can't make a team without the Australian side without all those players missing. Yeah. Next year. and he was only 20, he was only twenty six. Yeah, yeah, really bizarre. Yeah, it just seems a bit odd. So it's a pretty handy. He made the ninety tour at that age. Mm, um, yeah, twenty six by the midday. Yeah, pretty good going. It's a good uh, team. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a red hot team. Yeah, um, we watched we watched them a few weeks ago, didn't we? Um, yep. Now, again, this, this, this game is, it's a bit, actually, just while we're talking about st- uh, people who play for the Steelers and Dragons and the, the joint venture, can I ask a trivia question for you? Who was the last Steeler to play in the NRL? And who was the last uh, Steeler to be an active player? There's two questions there. Yeah, I got a feeling that uh, I've got a feeling that this was looked up and it was someone really weird because I thought it was going to be Trent Barrett, um, and it wasn't. But I can't remember. 
well, who it was. The last I, I don't two. Think, I don't think he was. Did did, did Patton outlast? Barrett? That's good. So you've you've yeah. done well there. Patton and Barrett played mm. their last games on the same weekend, round twenty six, two thousand and ten. Yeah, okay. um, yeah. But Patton played another two years with Salford in Super League, and that got okay. him past Craig Fitzgibbon. So Craig Fitzgibbon played for Hull in 2011 and then retired. Ah, uh, Fitzy, of course, yeah. Luke, Luke, Patton, Luke Patton played until 2012 with Salford. So as far as I can tell, he's the last active mm. uh, top-level Illawarra Steeler. There you go. Yeah, so, so Fitzy played for the Steelers, not just the venture. Yeah, yeah. He got yeah, a couple of Steelers, Steelers games yeah. in. Okay, there you go. Well, he's another one we didn't mention before either when we were yeah, talking about yeah, right. the team they had. They could have yeah. Fitzgibbon with sort of, uh, you know, all those Dragons forwards that came through in the, the sort of Barrett-era Dragons all playing together would have been, you know, fairly handy if then the Stewarts came along and all that sort of stuff. You've got a team going, don't you? It's getting there, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, now, just after that, they've, after that disallowed drive to the forward pass, uh, Illawarra get a scrum and they feed it and it comes out the other side. You know, I don't know. the feed, baby. Oh, just, you know, 20 minutes of football and you see a contested ruck kicked into the in goal. Um, two, like, coat hangers, like, two mm. attempted coat hangers miss. And then this, a scrum against the feed. Um, it's all a bit, it's a bit of a sensory overload. And a wish art Ma- sort of shelling. Manna from heaven. Manna from heaven. Mm. Yeah. And, yep. what, and, it, and it leads to the only points of the game because a couple of tackles later, after all the all the pressure, and by this point, St George have had a lot of ball um, mm. up the Illawarra end of the field. They finally cracked them, uh, and it's uh, Collins, the dummy half, who runs out of dummy half, ten out, finds Hardy. Hardy draws the man and puts Walford over two on one, and uh, and the Dragons score what turns out to be the only points of the game. I don't know that at the time. It's four nil. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Um, so I, I got a stat to show that possession. So at one point, the tackles were 40 all or 46 40 or something like that. Um, yeah. Where they flashed up the old fashioned tackle stat on the screen. Beautiful. And um, when that try was scored, the tackles were 100 to 60. So having been 40 all yeah. in the next whatever amount of time, the ste- in, the ne- in the time the Steelers have made 60 tackles, St. George have only had to make 20. Um, in that in that period, so from forty all to, to one hundred to sixty, so th- that was a real. Th- it wasn't a bad piece of play, but it was fairly simple, and I think that probably reflects in the fact that um, they just really swamped them just for a period them. there. Yeah. And there was charge downs involved in that scrums against the feed, just stuff. Good play as well, but good play combined with just things happening, and they just ended up with all the ball and having and just ran over them with a nice try. Having got away with that try, like having got away with the bomb. And then got away with the Brad Mackay thing. You just really mm. do need to be winning that scrum, don't you? Yeah, that's just about not right. Really, it's not really. You that's can't about really, right. Then having weathered all that, you can't really, um, you can't really be losing a scrum against the head. Uh, Ian Heron thoughtfully hit the hit the upright with the kick from the touchline, um, so it stayed four nil. The after twenty five minutes, to me, there's no sign that it's going to be four nil and stay that way, right? Like it's not a dour game. There's lots of chances. It seems possible mm. that St George might win by quite a bit. Yeah, but, yeah. I wouldn't necessarily say it'd be close. I just didn't have thought it'd be four all. I would have thought, you know, that the Dragons might run over them a bit. Yeah, um, they're well on top. Well on top for quite a long period of this game. Now, and they they do kind of they more or less stay on top for most of the most mm. of the first half. And just a couple of um, observations. Uh, on the first half, I should mention as well, there are a couple of, there's a couple of moments that I should mention just from the Dragons that 
Illawarra make a break with about five minutes to half time against the run of play. Izzard puts McGregor through with this beautiful short offload. Mm. McGregor breaks away up the middle and is grasped by Mick Potter about 35 metres out. Uh, and Potter kind of doesn't actually finish off the tackle. He just bundles him and then McGregor kind of crawls a bit and is taken down. Um, Illawarra then spread the ball. They look for all money like scoring. And Mick Potter makes a tackle five metres out from his own posts on the right-hand side of the field, having made a grassing tackle 35 out in the middle of the field. Um, I think it's off Diggers at the very next play and is the last line of defence to knock over Brent Rodwell. I just thought that was a superb bit of fullback defensive kind of uh, application. It's funny you mentioned that. I was going to say one thing about football in this era is uh, what people celebrated in fullbacks and what yeah. they used to celebrate was charging kick returns, cover tackling, like the tackle on McGregor in of itself, cover tackles were just the sex of 80s, 90s fullbacks. Oh, he's cover tackled him. Oh, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. and then the backing up to do it again. And the other things like taking bombs, like fearlessly leaping mm. the bombs and grabbing grubbers. And both, I would say both him and Riolo had fantastic old school fullback games. Like if we watched yep. it now, y- younger viewers would watch this and just be like, oh, I didn't think the fullbacks did anything because that's not what we value in fullbacks now. They didn't do the things that yeah. um, you want to see a fullback in 2020 do. But at that time in the game, and very much it's, it's probably the Gary Jack game. That's the, the style, yeah. like the, the quintessential fullback of that style is um, Belcher to an extent, but probably Gary Jack, like fearless cover tackles, fearless bomb catching and, and sort of just fearlessly bringing the ball back. That was how you were to play fullback um, in that time. And, and it kept going for a while. I mean, uh, Robbie O'Davis was that sort of player, the cover mm. tackles and the bringing it back at, that we all used to cheer. That, that, that's what you used to think was a good fullback game. And both of them had a quintessential Gary Jack style good fullback game in this one. Did all that sort of stuff well. Mm. Yeah. The other thing which I just can't fail to mention is uh, Noel Goldthorpe's field goal attempt from 35 mm-hmm. out to go four, uh, to go 5 nil up uh, with absolutely yeah. no setup and with Scott Goulet playing dummy half. Um, it's not remotely on. It doesn't go close. And um, it's not the last time he'll do it in the game. Um, He's warming up, warming up for um, 1997. Well, <laughs> that's right. Just get in the eye in five years in advance. Um, yeah. They go to half five time. nil, such a good lead, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> Looking for five nil in the first half. <laughs> yeah, it's a ner- it's a nervous lead, five nil. Um, yeah, yeah. I- <laughs> well, Rod Wishard kicking goals from the worst idea. It's not going to take that into account. <laughs> That's true. I the other thing, uh, so they go to half time four four nil, um, and the Steelers fairly desperately need half time. You'd have to say, given all the the tackling they've had to do, um, it's a kind of entertaining game, and there's a lot of weird stuff happening. Mm. I just a couple of observations. Wasn't this just the peak era of stupidly big shoulder pads and mm. torpedoes? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Fantastic. Really good. There's also a lot of Beaver Menzies blackhead gear with hair yeah. coming out of the top of them, yeah. which is also fits that mould of what you're talking about perfectly. That's sort of the blackhead gear the where your hair sort of sticks through with the shoulder pads and all that stuff. Fantastic. Really is. Did, um, did, you know, you know Blocker said a lot. That's, um, Blocker has mentioned a lot that he reckons that they used to, he used to demand inspections of Canterbury in this era because he reckons Steve Folks was padding, like packing the shoulder pads with hard stuff like Steve Folks. He reckons Steve Folks used to whack him and he reckons he was in there. He used to, they, Tigers used to demand inspections because Steve Folks was like packing, like, I don't know what he said it was, but like real hard. I don't, I don't know if it was yeah. cement or what he's popping in. He's popping in there like rock hard shit into his shoulder. Yeah. So he can't whack you and it hurts. Like, 
Which is just really good. That just, yeah, they uh, call that one. That's true. They call yeah. that one the stinger. They don't let you do that yeah, no more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The old barbed wire. That's um, that's I was not aware of that. What mm. what happened to the shoulder pads? Because I can remember when I was a kid, mm. people were still wearing them. Do you know the, you were wearing them? You'd have had no, a big I, set of shoulder pads on you with the brown snake shoulders. Yeah, no, I never wore them. I'm afraid to yeah, say, but I do. Like I, I can remember them still being part of the game yeah. in the late nineties. You know what I mean? Well, people had them on them when I, when I was playing, like in the 2000s, like in juniors. Like, yeah. not everyone, but some so of them what, did. They were never outlawed, were they? Did someone just decide they didn't do anything? I'd say that's probably right. I don't think there's any evidence that they... Well, like you're patting your shoulder. It's one of the hardest spots of your body. You don't get a lot of corks to your shoulder, and it's not going to stop you, like, tearing your shoulder or doing anything like that. No. So when you think about it, what is it doing? And they all want to wear skin-tight jerseys and everything, which you would look a real sight with the shoulder pads over the, underneath. Um, well, that's true. Yeah, maybe that's part of it. Maybe the jerseys is a... Well, you're slowing people down without probably much market benefit, to be honest. Mm. Um but, you know, it's a, obviously the aesthetics of it were very good and they've sort of failed to take that into account and how it affects, you know, sort of fans, well, uh, crowd and that sort of thing. It had this funny effect of making people look absolutely hulking. Yeah. In the yeah, old cotton jerseys, the way that the, jer- the cotton jersey would hang off them. They just people... But, yeah. just made but people swell your huge. shoulders up and not fit around. So it'd be quite wide around your waist, but swell your shoulders out. So you're bursting out of it at the shoulders. And then it's baggy on you at the waist. which just makes you feel like you say, you've got these hulking shoulders <laughs> and hulking upper body. Um, uh, of course, <clears throat> you, can, yeah. you can still buy them. I'm just looking now. You can still get them from uh, Kingsgrave Sports at the very least. Steed and make shoulder pads still. Um, Why don't you and I get a set and we'll do a bit yeah. of an experiment. We'll just sort of run into each other with a bit of pace and work out sort of what feels better or better or worse. What, what, what a lovely idea. Yeah. I think I'll be getting, I'll be inspecting yours. I don't trust you. No, you... <laughs> with something, something Steve folk style. Yeah. Well, your instincts are good yeah. there. Cause I, I'll be, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll be putting lead weights in mine. Yeah. Um, that's right. Yeah. Well, there you go. I, yeah, I just, I, I was thrilled to see them. The torpedoes, like nobody can tell me that the torpedoes did anything. Um, no, that's absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, but it was um, good. It was thrilling to see them. Yeah. Can I take you? Uh, well, I wouldn't say off topic. We're probably already there. But um, can I? Can I take you? So when I said I thought someone weird was the last stealer, I've actually remembered what I was thinking of. Oh yes. So, uh, incorrect. Uh, what What's weird is the last tiger. So. Oh. Um, the last ever person to play for the Balmain Tigers was active in rugby league at the top level as of 2015, 16 years after the, um, the Tigers last played in the competition. And it's Kylie Lulawai. <laughs> <laughs> That's the weird one. I knew there was someone odd was the last player. That That's really right. threw me right off, off kilter. So Kylie Lulawai played for Leeds. You know, Kylie Lulawai last played in the NRL in Two thousand and six for Manly, and went on to play two hundred and fifty-eight more You're games. Kidding! Finishing in twenty fifteen for the Leeds Rhinos. Oh, that's fantastic! Eight games finished in twenty fifteen, having debuted for the Tigers in nineteen ninety-nine. Have a go at this career. So, nineteen ninety-nine, <laughs> seven games for the Tigers. <laughs> two thousand, two games for the West Tigers. Yeah. Sydney Roosters, two, no one. Two thousand and one, no game. Two thousand and two, five for the Roosters. Seven for the Eels in 03, 57 in it from 04 to 06 for Manly. So debuts in nine. And by 2004 has played 21 games, 21 games, but then goes on to play 57 for Manly and 258. So he's got having in the first six years of his career played 20 games. He goes on to play another 300 by 2015. That's very good. 
And he's in exile. This yeah, exile. Oh, is he? Yeah, good. Exile, yeah, glad, so. glad to hear that. Two twice. So they had Two. him once and got him again. Yeah. yeah well, you wouldn't. The last ever Balmain Tiger. That's a bit of trivia that you just, you know, if you don't listen to shows like this, you won't pick up on that sort of thing. No, that's right. I'm glad that people at home will be sort of rubbing their hands together for the next trivia night. They're out at a pub somewhere. Someone says, yeah. you know, the bonus question. You know, they do those joker questions at the end of trivia, like yeah. in the break yeah. of trivia nights, you know, to, for, to win 500 bucks or something or a meat try yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, who was the last active Balmain Tiger? <laughs> anyway, um, the other thing I, I wanted to mention is, wasn't it good to see Stanley Steeler prowling the touchline? Um, yeah. I, don't, I, don't know, I, I mean, I've made fun of shoulder pads, but gee, Stanley had a good set on, didn't he? Yeah, rightly. Well, that's the sort of thing I sort of could have seen you going into if the Steelers weren't gone. I think you would have at some point made a job application to be Stanley um, yeah. when the original Stanley inevitably had to sort of, you know, hang up the boots. We'd so never forget, and I've, I've mentioned this on, I think I've mentioned this before on the, on the episode we did on the Chargers, Steelers going from 97. Yeah, more St than once, yeah, but continue, St I want to hear it again. Stanley Steeler was once sent off for, for getting involved in a fight. Um, yeah put like dragging players off a off an all in brawl. And I just think that bears mentioning is the only I think the only mascot ever to have got involved in a professional rugby league mm. fight. Um at, at the top Certainly level. the only one to ever be sent off. Um, yeah. There's sort of a fair argument Captain Charger should have been sent off for sort of vulgarly swingy, swingy pelvic thrusting his sock, stuffed sock pants. Yeah, you forget about that. But, yeah. but it, it, he wasn't. So nonetheless, despite the fact that others should have been, Stanley Seal does remain the only person to be sent off the field. I can uh, tell you that a, a um, I can tell you that a mascot was sent off in the Newcastle Rugby League a few years ago. Um, for vigorously celebrating a try in the in goal. It was Western Suburbs and someone. And the Western Suburbs, if people are not aware, that in Newcastle are known as the Rosellas. Uh, and they had a Rosella the mascot. Yeah. yeah, all the maggots. But they had a Rosella mascot that people said looked a lot more like a chicken. But it, uh, it, it was in the in goal, like doing a lot of like, <laughs> like doing a lot of very vigorous celebrating of West tries uh, and got mm. a bit too close to the action and uh, was, was sent off. Yeah, by the referee. It, dismissed. On, how did it? How did it look like a chicken? Because like Rosella's a very colourful, distinct bird. So I could understand mistaking I, it for a parrot. I don't but, like, know. How, like, what colour was the Rosella so as to look like a chicken? I don't remember, but I, I, I it does strike me as it strikes me as odd as it does you. Can I say I, I don't blame them for sending him. Well, that would really piss me off. Again, for those who don't know, the maggots or Rosellas as they're sort of sometimes known are the real like manly of the yep. 80s and 90s and, and the the roosters of now um in, in the, the newcastle, newcastle comp. yeah they just buy everyone and have all the players and like any player that gets sort of the knights let go and can't get another professional contract will end up playing for wes on money and stuff and they like they're always in the grand final like if they don't win it this year they win it next year and stuff so like this dickhead rosella like swooning around the end goal about a team that's spending like three times more money than any other team to win the local comp i'd be getting rid of him too that really yeah, marching orders. Up. It's, yeah it's particularly obnoxious for wes to do it yeah off you go no that's that's mm. right i i think yeah it, he he had it coming uh, but anyway, it was good to see Stanley. We'll put a picture up on Facebook through the week of Stanley because, geez, he's in good shape. And he's everything that's good absolutely. about mascots. You know, like yeah. all the best mascots have got capes. Um, you know, people oh, now absolutely. say not all heroes wear capes. Well, all good mascots certainly do. Um, yeah. And the big yeah, head, he had a big kind of metal-coloured oh. melon. It was just great. I think the only exception to that rule, and I don't know his name, but the magpie, the, the one, the one that oh, yeah. the magpies game, because he was a total speedhead. Like, um, I know, you know, 
not to <laughs> sort of colloquialise areas or sort of stereotype, but like that part of the world in Western Sydney is sometimes out near Campbelltown is sometimes known for having some level of, of, of drug issues and problems in the area. And it very much that magpie, if he wasn't on, you know, sort of, heavy heavy illicit stimulants or methamphetamine i'm not here really like he's a fantastic okay. mascot he has these bulging magpies he looks like the magpies that swoop. you get a photo on the news of one of those yeah, magpies yeah, yeah. That's swooping someone you know the big eyed magpies when they're coming after you saying you know piss off away from my tree to you know sort of children and bikes and stuff like that which is very admirable um he had those sort of eyes and the, and a big big beak like this really obnoxiously oversized beak and got around sort of didn't have much to cheer on and sort of picked fights with other mascots. So as he got in a, got in a bit of a fight with a Newcastle mascot one day, he started trying to run over him with his buggy and all this sort of stuff. Like he was a real, like, and it was always caused by him. There was a lot of incidents and they were always started by this magpie with overbulged eyes. Yeah, and, good luck um, to if him. anyone remembers oh. his name, I'd love to see him, but I'll get a photo of him for when we do a magpie episode. Cause he I'm also he came out of retirement at the magpies, like 110 or 120 year anniversary or something like recently oh, really? anniversary. Yeah. And there's all these famous um, magpies. It was before sort of Noel Kelly died and a few of those guys. And there's all these wonderful photos of these like 80 year old, like legendary magpies, like with their arm around this mascot from the nineties with the belt. Like it was this reunion of old greats. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. All the legends of the game. Yeah. Yeah. I think this one with Arthur Summons and yeah. stuff a few years ago, <laughs> Arthur Summons from the trophy and this mess magpie from Campbelltown in the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> Meeting back to talk about old times. <laughs> yeah, good luck to him. Yeah. I yeah, I won't have this slurry of the people of Campbelltown. I say good luck to him. Well, I hope, um, I hope, I hope I'm not intended to have done that. I just suggest that any stereotypes about this area was being followed by this mascot. That's all. Yeah, good luck to him. Now, yeah. <laughs> dear, oh dear. Anyway, we, we should get the, the second half. Is uh, so <clears throat> in this game, so George have all of the run of the possession for mm. half an hour, like 30, most of the first mm. half. In the second half, for absolutely no reason, it completely flips. Is that mm. fair? Yeah. Yeah, I think that it probably is fair. Um, you know, this is as a thought bubble. You know who they remind me a bit of, the Steelers? Because I was going to say, I can see why they got here with that their defence, because they were overrun for half an hour and just didn't concede any other tries mm. um, and just managed not to. They remind me a lot of the Kemper Raiders of 2019, 2020, oh, yeah. where the Raiders made a grand final and then made the prelim. And all the time, they sort of just were really scrappy and um, ag- aggressive and like got in a fight and wouldn't concede. And then somehow they just get, they very rarely scored off set plays. They just hung in the fight long enough and kept trying. And then they would score off a, botched grubber or like they'd score off a pop pass or something would just happen for them that wasn't a set play or particularly brilliant and they'd mm. win 12 10 or 16 10 because they just were nasty and wouldn't let you score and this mm. game remind i can see how the steelers finish so high on the table because the way they played this game would have just stopped enough teams scoring in enough games to win most of them like mm. if you play like this all the time only a couple of teams like Brisbane and those sorts of guys, and if you have a bit of bad luck, will score enough points to knock you off. If you just don't concede yeah. tries and you're scrappy and you fight for it, you just win, don't you? Like you win enough games to be in the hunt and be up the top end of the table. Yeah, that's right. They they, they scored yeah, um, hung in there until they and they hung in there until it turned for them. Yeah, well, to give yeah. you an idea, Brisbane scored 501 points in the regular season mm. in. Yeah. 2092. Uh, so George mm. scored 401 points, having come second. The yeah. Steelers, 318. Yeah, and look, th- those teams rarely win the comp. 
Yeah. That, 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 those teams that have those years, it's very rare that a team that gets in there by not conceding anything does win the comp because there's very few years where there isn't one or two teams that that won't work against. Like it sort of, it doesn't matter how gritty and tight you are. You're not going to hold um, Langer and, and, and Reynolds yeah, and that, that, that Broncos side, side to, 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 and to beat them yeah. 10, eight or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And teams now, there's teams that get in like the Raiders do that, but it's very hard to beat the Roosters yeah. playing like that. And there's just always one or two teams like that. So it is hard to win the comp playing that way, but it's, it's, it's very admirable and you can see how, how they got where they were with the way they weathered a lot of, just a lot of pressure for a long period, even despite themselves, like they made errors, but they still defended them and fought and, and did it until it turned around for them. Now, uh, five minutes into the second half, <clears throat> the first of three disallowed Steelers tries. Uh, mm. This one, it's a really nice bit of play. It's a shame it wasn't a try. It's Mick Neal wrapping around the back of the ruck. Gets it at first serve. It turns it to uh, Tietzel. Tietzel offloads to Izzard. Izzard, as he's falling, offloads it to Rodwell. Rodwell goes over to score, and the last pass is called forward. Uh, I had a couple of looks on the replay. I've got that as marginal. Seen plenty marginal. of them let go. Yeah, I love that, Claude. It's a very good chat from you. Oh, I've seen, yeah. I've seen, I've seen them let seen go. Seen them given. <laughs> seen them given. Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Again, so I'll say marginal. I can't quite tell, but I will to the referees credit or, or not to his credit but in his defense he's he is right on the spot and his angle is better than ours so we get it on a little bit of an angle and yeah. he is bang in line with the guy who passes it so you can yeah. only go with the fact that he has a better position than what the tv in that era will give us mm. um and i wouldn't say it was shocking yeah you know you have to go with him on that on that angle yep. you just have to say well no, it's that's... close but if he thinks it was forward it, it might have been so play on yep no i'm with you on that i, I you know it was it was close enough um, they're the ones that sometimes you get you get away with, right? Like nobody would have been up in arms if it had been yeah. given. I don't think you know, like it's kind of no. A, it's like a but you know pre uh, DRS era. It's like an LBW sort of hitting halfway the you know hitting the top of leg stump. You know what yeah. I mean? Like where you go, yeah. oh oh, I don't. That's not plum. That it, you know if it had been not out, we wouldn't be complaining either. You got to go with the umpire because we can't see. You know, yeah, that's probably that sort of thing. That maybe maybe not. Yeah, yeah, um, and then. David Barnhill comes on with a full head of hair. I just wanted to mention that because um, mm. it thrilled me. It was very unusual to see him not like with a big bald spot. Um, or well, him, him and Mary both running hair was very disturbing. Yeah, it was, um, wasn't it? It's troubling. Yeah. It's just, it just goes yeah. against everything I know about them. Um, David Barnhill, to me, mm. will always have the head tape yeah. and the huge bald patch. Um, Would you no, say the worst one of this was the bloody Tim Brasher in the 89 grand final oh, that playing was, with long hair? That was abhorrent. That yeah. was. That That threw me off. Yeah. I, was, I was like discombobulated for a couple of days after that. Yeah, um, yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's a great cliche from Fatty around this time. He just he tosses out that there's been too much one out from the Steelers, which is the catch-all explanation for mm. any side that's going ordinary in a game. No, they're just too, they're running too much one out. Yeah, which they very much hadn't for the record. Um, no, all, no, not really. They've been zinging um, it all over the place. Yeah, it wasn't working, but they were they were trying. It just wasn't wasn't really coming off. <laughs> like, mm, mm. Uh, and then Ricky Walford in the fiftieth minutes bundled into touch five meters out after a great ball from Beatty. Uh, Beautiful and ball. Beautiful it was. Ball. It was good footy. And, and uh, but it was good to see that geriatric touchy there again. That mm, old, you know, yeah. the old white haired touch judge five years yeah. away from his performance in the ninety seven grand final. Um, it was good to see him there. Mm. And then a couple of minutes later, 
Uh, he's so do- old. He's so old that it wouldn't be surprised. It wouldn't surprise me if we find out he's been dead for twenty years. <laughs> like, like, he's that old. Like, it's so like, old. He's that old. <laughs> it's, I mean, we found out now that he died in the year two thousand. That wouldn't necessarily. Yeah, but like, like oh, geez, he died young. Yeah, 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 hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. Dead set. He he is so old. He's a thousand. Like, yeah. You you don't want him trying to keep up with like you don't want him trying to keep up with the Darren Albert Matt Sears chase to see if no. he puts the ball down in the corner. That's fitting. Yeah. This yeah, is where like, you need. Get, this is where you need your yeah. old touch judge. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. Well, that's probably the thing. He probably retired when they got rid of the old touch judge. Yeah. 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 Right. There's a great moment a couple of minutes later where uh, Waddell comes flying in with a swing um, on Priddle misses but they give a penalty and then Skifalidi does it again off the tap <laughs> he just goes in again with a big swing arm and misses again uh, and cops a warning McCallum warns him without actually stopping play and Rabs to his eternal credit just calls no nothing in it there's nothing in it which is incredibly funny because like he he would have been dead if he'd hit him like yeah. he just it's like it's a full swinging forearm aimed at the face and what's uh, which, with the caution with someone that's already been penalised in the game? For yeah, like but it's, that was, his, been a, that was yeah. his third. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, why is the caution coming after? Like, the first one was a penalty. Yeah. And having tried to repeatedly do it again, he's now being cautioned without a penalty. Like, the, mm. the penalty, the, like, the, um, the level of... Um, that he is being penalised, the level of like disincentive to do this is actually dropping as the yeah, attempts yeah, continue. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's gone from penalty he's, back to warning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's getting he's getting sort of less disincentive to behave this way the more times he does it. I've asked you nicely to stop. If you continue, I will yeah. have no choice but to ask you nicely again. Yeah. Yeah. Reverse loading, reverse that's loading. That's <laughs> what it is. <laughs> Carry under points. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then Izard, who I think. Izzard goes off in absolute Disneyland a couple of minutes after this mm. and Sterlow calls no, he's car- looks like he's carrying an injury and he like, genuinely yeah. doesn't know where he is. Um, he's carrying injury to his brain. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. And this is about the time, from about the 55th minute, this is where uh, the Steelers have their kind of, they just have 20 mm. minutes of one-way traffic and constant line breaks. There's this mm. bizarre attack where Alan McIndoe gets into the clear <laughs> He's got yeah. Neil for support and just puts the just sticks it on the boot, and it kind of yeah. deflects back to him for some reason. Um, and then just after Sterlow would settle the war aren't doing enough to open the play up. Uh, Skifalitti puts Wishart away through the middle. Neil's dragged down, and then Pinchinelli just throws it into touch. You know, um, mm. and then in the 60th minute they have another try disallowed. It's right on the line. Um, Neil passes to Pincinelli. Pincinelli throws a beautiful, but he's quite clever with the ball, Neil Pincinelli, wasn't he? Um, Good player. Yeah, Former Newcastle Knight, but not indeed. at this point, but by the end of his career. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Throws a lovely And a Mariner. Short. Yes, mm. that's a trio. Um, mm. Throws a lovely little short ball to put McGregor over, uh, who then, while falling, offloads it to Rodwell. Again, marginal. Uh, call forward, yeah. Yeah, call um, forward. That one might have been if you. Uh, we don't well, have the right angle for it, but it was called live. And when I watched the replay, he throws it, and what happens is when he goes to throw it, it fumbles out of one hand, and sort of then he tries to fling it with his fingers in the other. You know, like a finger mm. sort of fling. And usually, once you're flinging it with your fingers, that's not the best sign. You know what I mean? For it's probably going to go forward. If you're holding the ball out in front, trying to fling it with your fingers when it's loose, yeah, yeah. I'll cop that one. That was probably yeah. forward. I like. Uh, I again, thought not the best view, but yeah. No, I, I didn't mind that decision. Out, out of all of them, that was probably the 
uh, probably the clearest one of the forward passes. Uh, but they just yeah. keep they just keep breaking them open. Then Riolo makes a break off a kick return. They get up there and Potter kind of supermans across to save this grubber. And even he had a good game Riolo. He did, yeah. He was very busy in the second half. Player agent David Riolo. We had a good yes, game. yes, mm. player agent. That's right. Mm. Um, and so they get saved again, and then Wishart's dragged down off the foot. So McGregor gets a giddly flick mm. five, you know, mm. seven years before the giddly flick was invented. Gets mm. the flick away to uh, to Wishart at full pace down the wing. He gets dragged down. They get six again, but Simon doesn't realise and kicks. I've got a complaint here, if you'll, if you'll indulge me. I have a complaint at this point. I think this is a really bad refereeing decision. So mm-hmm. um, he's on the spot to make this call. And what happens is, is that McGregor throws the flick pass. Wishard goes straight through, gets pulled down by the fullback and two guys coming from behind. They mess up the ruck. Two of them are laying in the play the ball. The marker's holding him down. He plays the ball. It hits one of the guys laying in the ruck that hasn't got up, that's messing it up and slowed it down. And the referee waves six again yeah. and Simons doesn't see it in kicks. It should have been a penalty. It would have mm. been Sinbin now. Uh, I know that wasn't the rule back then, so that's fine, but it'd be Sinbin now. Um, and it should have been a penalty because they've dragged down the guy off the break. He's trying to get a quick play the ball. The fullback's holding him down. The guys that have tumbled into the ruck are refusing to get out of it. They're holding onto his legs, rolling around in the play the ball, and he plays it into the guys that yeah. are not supposed to be there. And I don't see how that six again. They're not striking at it from marker. They're offside. It's an offside, like they're offside no, no. in the ruck. It's a ruck, either a ruck penalty for holding down or they're offside because they can't touch the ball from offside. You know what I mean? Like it's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a really bad call. And I get that John Simons kicks it, but he doesn't hear six again. And he probably has no reason to think that he needed to look for six again. Because yeah. if you think a player might have touched the ball, you might have a look at the referee. Is there six again? But that, that's just a play. That, that wasn't a smart call at that point. I know people get stuff wrong, but that's, that's read of the game stuff. You know what I mean? Like a winger flies down the wing. They've got all the momentum. There's nobody back. And the guys in the ruck are holding on, rolling in it, making it slow and messy. You've just got to yeah. penalise them. Just, yeah, that's, that's it. That's I'm... what everyone's trying to do. You know what they're trying to do. But that's a real moment, isn't it, where they've had all this attack yeah. and all this, these opportunities and then they get down there again, really create something. Like it's a beautiful ball from McGregor yeah. to put Wishart away and they just, when it's just bubbling and it's about to happen, they, they kick the ball away and lose it, you know. And, mm. and then it's 13 minutes to go and it's starting to get, um, it, they're just starting to run out of time, you know. And they'd spent so much of the second half between the 20 and the 40 in the Saints half, you know. Yeah. But they were always down there. In this portion of the game, there is also something that I've sent you a picture of before um, we came on air, which is um, while yes. all this attack is going, they, they shoot to the crowd to a photo of, uh, to a video of look at Graham Murray watching on. Graham Murray with um, dark hair and a fantastic moustache, which I must say just doesn't <clears> accord with my image of him, which is about the Cowboys run, looking yeah. stunned, um, quite elderly. <laughs> yeah. Um, at this point, like the, the black hair, the full moustache and the, Steelers bomber jacket oh. with a tie on underneath. A tie yeah. under Steelers bomber jacket. It looks Just fantastic. The whole picture, we'll put it up. The oh, yeah. whole image of this bloke, that this is this is what you want to look like. This is rugby league. This is fashion, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Does, Crossing it's... over two worlds coming together. Yeah, High fashion right. rugby league. Again, yet again, all the uh, just after, you know, Tugger Coleman, we've talked about Tugger Coleman's mm. fashion and, and, and Wayne mm. Bennett and different people. Um, Gus with that enormous bomber jacket. But this was the time, wasn't it, of the, mm. the early 90s really was the era of the rugby league bomber jacket. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I've seen it. some of these for sale. I'd love to get oh. one now that I've seen him in it. I'd get one and put my. I'd go to work in it with a tie on underneath. Yeah, well, you'd look good in that with the trout with a pair mm. of slacks. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, you'd be a, you'd be a real sight turning up uh, in in a in a Illawarra Steelers bomber jacket. If we, if we, if anyone else has got one, they want to they want to get uh, get rid of. Um, there's a there's a market out there for it. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> So the other thing I, I noticed with interest was Matthew Elliott comes on in this game. Mm-hmm. Yep. With about 20 to go. Yeah. Um, you know, aren't there a lot of funny coaches in this game? Yeah. Yeah. Michael, Mick Potter. They really are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mick, Mick Potter, Ivan Hanjack, Matthew Elliott, uh, Mary McGregor. Is there one more? I thought there was one more. Uh, there, there might there might be. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and also Brian Smith's brothers on the sorry, Brian Smith, yeah, Brian Smith's younger brothers on the bench who I believe coaches at some point down the line, maybe not in the NRL though, as yeah, he coach, does. He coaches in coach coaches well, in yeah. England quite successfully. Yeah, yeah. Tony, yeah. Tony Smith, I think, yeah. Yes, mm. there's just a lot of um a lot of coaches, none of whom, you know, really did a great deal. Other than Matthew Elliott, I guess, who, you know, did make finals with some fairly ordinary sides and all that, but um, mm. Back yeah, at the Dragons yeah. this year as an assistant. Yes, there you go. The, mm. you know, the more things Triumphant change. Triumphant returns. Yeah. yeah, well, prodigal son. Going back to farm in many ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> now, this, in the se- <laughs> in the seventy second minute, uh, Noel Goldthorpe, totally, you know, not 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 deterred mm. by his miss before half time, decides to have another go from thirty out. To again attempt to take St George to a five nil lead. Uh, can I just say? Can I to dust off an old cliche? Can I say full credit to to Noel Goldthorpe for his dogged determination to pop the one over for no reason? Yeah, to lead by five. Yeah, to lead by five. Uh, yeah. Again, I just think he's seen Rod Richard kick goals. That's my sort of lead instinct is that he's thinking five's enough. Like, you know, if they score, he's possibly not going to kick it. Yeah, it's just as not, long as they're out wide. Just, just run them out yeah. wide. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, it's fantastic. It was very, very good to see. Now, and, and I... This was Channel 9's first year of the coverage and, you know, Sterlo mm. um, still making his way as a rugby league commentator. He hadn't been retired that long by this point. Mm. Um, can I say, doesn't he lay into him for this? <laughs> He really, oh, that was a ridiculous decision to go for the field goal. What a ridiculous play. And uh, this was, you know, I mean, Sterlow was on the way to building a reputation as the only person who is entitled to determine when a field goal should be kicked. Like, he's the arbiter, right, mm. of when's, yeah. it yeah. should, should they be thinking yeah. about it. If he hasn't said they might be thinking about it, if he hasn't raised at least the prospect of a field goal, you can't be no. taking one. No, absolutely not. The message needs to go out. Sterlo reckons it's on. That's when you can yeah. start looking for him. It's and the until then, water. until yeah. then, don't take one. So, yeah, he's funny, Sterlo, because you forget, like he was the he was the genuine champion. Like he's just retired, and he's the you know um, the legendary halfback, the last legendary sort of halfback uh, in the game that's just retired. They're probably the with the amount of comps he won, you, you know, there's probably at the very least he'd have sort of the reputation Cooper Cronk has now having just retired at the very least, um, if not more. I know a lot of people say he should be an immortal and, you know, we haven't seen him play, so I can't comment on that. But at the very least, you got him at a Cooper Cronk and at the very best, you got him at an Andrew Johns or Jonathan Thurston sort of level, you know what I mean? So he's just retired and you could tell, like, they don't do the media training they do now where they're no. training out. It's, it's bank out cliches and, you know, 
be polished and presentable. He's just, he's speaking like you imagine he would have been talking in the video review on Monday if the Eels did this. Like if he's yeah. playing for Parramatta and some idiot and his team took a field goal for five nil, he's in, that's what he's doing. Like he's just spraying them, you know, like yeah. you don't get that good without having a very fierce competitive will and, and, and you know what I mean? Like that fire and competitiveness and he's dishing out to teams what he would have been dishing out in the Parramatta video review wow. during the week. Like what the you hell really... are you doing there? Don't do that. That is rubbish. So he does yeah, it a yeah. few times where they go, oh, they're willing, aren't they? Like in defense, they're all aggressive. And he goes, well, they might be aggressive, but they've been over aggressive and leaving holes in the line and missing tackles. Like you could tell like his way mm. of sort of, um, he was speaking very much like a guy that was talking to his own team when he commentated. Like this is <laughs> not what I right want to see. Yeah, he hops right into John. Yeah, he hopped into John yeah. Simon a little while after this. He just says he's offered nothing, basically. He just he's offered nothing in this game. He's, you know. Um, well, that doesn't stop <clears> given <throat> he goes to Parramatta. <laughs> no, but he also. But it yeah. just it occurred to me that John Simon was twenty years old, yeah. had just played. He'd actually played Origin this season. Yeah, funny career, John Simon. He played Origin. He filled in for Ricky Stewart in Game One of '92. Yep. Uh, in a win for New South Wales, uh, in only I think his third year of first grade. Um, mm. But you would just never hear a commentator now talk start, talk about a twenty year old halfback like that. No, and he 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 played Origins between ninety two and ninety seven, and he played you know in the Super League year he played a test um, for the ARL, so he had a pretty good career like over a period of time. But um, yeah. he was yeah he was not only played for Parramatta, he played for them in the Carriage Miracle. So like Sturlow yeah. hopping into him is a fairly good precursor by what I yeah. imagine he felt for many years afterwards. You get the yeah, sense stuff right. like the Carriage Miracle keeps Sturlow up at night to this day. Like, yeah, like what were they doing? They're in front by yeah. a million with ten to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's wonderful yeah. when he commentates. <laughs> but he really loses it, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah but then they... <laughs> yeah, poor old... John Simon, incidentally, funny career. 230 games. Uh, was at the Steelers, then went to the Roosters in 96 and couldn't get past Adrian Lamb. So immediately mm. moved to Parramatta. Um, mm. And then played at uh, the <clears throat> Auckland Warriors and the West Tigers. So played five different clubs, 231st-grade games. Um He's a good player, but I have absolutely no memory of him playing for Auckland. No. Or, um, who, was the other, who was the other one? The West Tigers. Tigers. See, that's I remember the thing, him playing for the like, Tigers late, but yeah. That's always a bad sign. Like, I'm quite obsessed with rugby yeah. league. You might understand. And when you don't remember who someone started with, that's normal. Like, if he played for someone, barely played, and then came good, that can happen. But it's a really bad sign for the drop-off if people don't remember what you did at the end. It's like a lot yeah. of people might not remember Matt Orford going to the Raiders. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> stuff like, it, if they don't, I real, pity them. Yeah, that's right. But usually <clears> it's a real mark that you're not much close to your best if you're a player who's played sort of origin football or test footy and people can't remember your last two one or two clubs that's not a good thing <laughs> no and the, the yeah. criticism was the, the criticism of simon of simon uh came shortly before his kind of worst but he didn't he wasn't bad in the game he just didn't do a great deal he just wasn't really particularly present and then with five minutes mm. to go <clears throat> brett rodwell makes a huge break uh yeah. there's a great cover tackle by goldthorpe uh out on the left yeah. They drag yeah. him down, and they have huge numbers to the right. They've got yeah. the shot. To, the defense is shot to pieces. Goldthorpe's come from nowhere to make the tackle. Saints haven't got anyone back, and they swing yeah. it to the right. And Simon, with about four on none to his right, thirty odd out, mm. just kind of drifts sideways, clunks the whole thing up, and then throws a pass yeah. into the ground. <clears throat> and it results in what I think is probably the moment of the match for me: mm. the Rod Wishart chip and chase. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the worst I've ever seen. Can you describe um, it for us? 
Not really. He just gets it and kicks it to the opposition. But like he, instead of chipping and chasing, he kicks it across field, like yeah, to a position sort of, that he couldn't possibly chase to. He's ten in from the sideline or fifteen in from the sideline and kicks it to centre field, but not forward, sort of five metres forward to about where the opposition would had, were standing. Yeah, sort of um, into tra- back into traffic against the grain. Yeah, yeah. He, he yeah, hands like saucepan, saucepan lid stuck on his hands, and yeah, it's sort of possibly also on his feet. Yeah, uh, it wasn't much no of a good. kick, that. I, it was very funny, though. No like, I really From a goal it. kicker, too. Like, he's yeah, yeah. someone that should be able to kick the ball with reasonable touch, having, like, been tasked with guiding it through narrow posts from various angles. Yeah. It was a thrilling moment. Um, just on really... John Simon, mm. Um, mm. if I can go back to you for just a moment. So what's interesting, uh, that play was a really bad one. They said on the commentary, the pass had to find someone and that's true, but he also had to give it early. Like when oh, he got yeah. it, they still had about a four or five on two and he roams across field, roams across field and it's still on and buggers the pass. But it's one of those ones where um, it was the classic Daly and Stewart or the Johns boys in the mid nineties where you just got to zing it, you know, yeah, where you get it, get it wide. you don't hold it. You just got to throw it. Like you look up and there's numbers, you just got to zing it and, and trust your outside men. Um, and McGregor and, and Wishart had given them trouble in the game and they just needed to get it there. So Pincinelli and they just needed to get it there early. Um, but what, what I was going to say was he got hooked in the carriage miracle. He did, um, yes. Late, yeah. And, and you at one point put it on him as the real villain um, in that game. I forget what the play was. It's many episodes ago now, but it was a play that you suggested that he was more culpable than, than Paul Carriage. He missed a couple um, of, he missed multiple field goals. I don't think finished. that's what you put it on him for. I think you put it on him for something else, but nonetheless, oh. there's some moments in that game. I won't go back and listen, but there's some moments in that game where you'd sort of held him up as responsible. He did miss two field goals and get hooked by his coach. So there's sort of two moments now, many years apart in preliminary finals where he possibly hasn't put his best foot forward, despite being a very good player and a very good career Just some of his, and he didn't have a bad game in that game either. I wouldn't say, I just think there was a couple of moments that were like, that's pretty bad. And this one was one as well. So he's just probably had a couple of his worst moments at the wrong time, you know? Well, he, he and up. yet <clears throat> having not done a great deal in the game and having had a few bad moments, mm. he very nearly has one of the great moments uh, and, and this is, with two minutes to go, this is unbelievable. It, it reminded me of that moment in the Penrith North game where the ball just bounces the wrong way, yeah. you know, where it's like that, mm. if that had been scored, that would have been one of the best finishes in a semi-final ever, you know. And this yeah. is this is in that kind of, of, of that ilk. Uh, mm. Last tackle on halfway, nothing on. Mm. And with two minutes to go, this is their last shot. They're on about halfway. Simon just throws a nothing flat ball to Rodwell. And it looks like, geez, that's a that's going to be a pretty meek end. Um, and Rodwell manages to get up and offload it to Izzard. Izzard offloads it back to Simon. Now Simon is surrounded at this point by players, and he does this beautiful dummy to kick, where he holds it in one hand, sort of down by his down by his waist, um, and then slips down the short side. And from about the quarter line, from about twenty five out. He boots it out, boots it downfield, and it's a race. And he sets up a foot race between Alan McIndoe and Ricky Walford. And McIndoe and Walford are chasing the ball, chasing the ball, and McIndoe gets his hand down towards the ball and knocks it on. Yeah. And for just a second, mm. for just a second. That would have been one of the great plays, one of the great but, plays ever. Oh, yeah. And for just, for just a moment, because you, see the, because you see it from the back, like from the, the rear view, you think that he might have got it down, and he claims it. Mm. McIndoe gets up and throws the ball in the air and claims the try. 
And I think it's only the in-goal touch judge that rules it out because from, from the back, you, it looks like, you know, he could very well have forced that. Um, yeah. And for just a second, Illawarra think they've, they've scored <laughs> with 90 yeah. seconds to go to go four all kick to come. Um, but, and then there's this realisation that it's, it's been called no try. Mm. And, that's and who would have been vindicated at that point? Noel Goldthorpe. That's who would have been vindicated. Yeah, well, that's, that's right. Given, he'd be going, well, how do you like me now? Five, yeah, four, we maybe. start kicking to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah from out um, wide. Wouldn't that have been a moment, by the way? Yeah. Like the, the conversion attempt at four all with, you know, 60 seconds left. Goodness me. Yeah, um, yeah. Or at five four. Or at five four, yeah. It would have been arguably, yeah, like sort of like this weird way bigger because it totally would have been like the a result. win loss. Like there's yeah, that, yeah, 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 the whole result would have been that kick. Like someone is going to a grand final purely on this kick. This actually decides the result. It doesn't yeah, yeah, yeah. send it to extra time or anything. It's, it's just it. Yeah. yeah. So, um, it's unbelievable. It's, um, can I just put a stunning bit of play. All yeah, it was I, just quickly on two things on the try. Firstly, I just want to show like a uh, wonderful friend of the show, Peter uh, yes. nominated Alan uh, McIndoe as his favourite stealer. And I just want to say, I want to fully credit his ardent Panthers support, having nominated him purely because he also played for Penrith and having constantly nominated as Penrith games to watch and various favourite players always being someone who played for Penrith. I'd just yeah. like to well, acknowledge think, his support I, of the Panthers. I think Peter was previously <laughs> yeah. a Steelers fan. He'll correct the record on this, but I've got yeah, a feeling okay. that he was originally a Steeler and then had to switch to the Panthers when the Steelers left the comp. Possibly right. when McIndoe was. Uh, yeah, possibly. <laughs> but went, went with where he went. But um, yeah, yeah. that aside, uh, yeah, I, I don't think... I've heard there's some controversy about this. Nah, no try. Pretty clearly no, no you try. Can't. It's, uh, it's dramatic, but it's not, there's no, it's, it's not a try. He doesn't grab the ball. No, you could have some controversy over whether it should be a dropout or a 20 tap. I'm not totally clear he dropped it. He might have, I'm not clear his hand was first, but he didn't. No one, no one forced it. So no. it's not a try. Um, and I don't think the result was decided by the refereeing. I think over the five decisions in the game where tries would have been scored but weren't due to a referee call, only one of them was clearly wrong, and it was a Dragons one. Yeah, and the others it's... could have gone the other way. So you could certainly say, Jesus, like some of those forward passes were flat, and it would have been nice if theirs were called forward and ours weren't. But yes. that's starting to get a bit um, wonky. Yes, that could have happened, but, you know, like, it went the same way. He called a number of marginal forward passes against both teams. And if he let yours go, he probably would have let the other teams go. Like this That's is right. if, if he was minded to let your marginal one go. Yeah. It's just, you know, I, the I frustration think for Illawarra. Yeah. yeah. The frustration for Illawarra is that they were close enough that luck, uh, just a, just a morsel of luck would have got yeah. them there. You know, like a, one of those 50, yeah. 50 forward passes getting, uh, getting allowed or something like that, but they don't, yeah, but you, you could, but it's, but the result wasn't stolen from them, you know? You're not like aggrieved. A, you just wish you had some like You're lamenting that you didn't get a bit of good fortune, but you're not yeah. aggrieved at the officials, I no. think, would be a There's, fair... fair and, and what you say is right. There's only one absolute stinker, and it's actually against St. George. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that's, you know, you would have they would have needed luck to get there. And, you know, the, the Steelers had their chances, for sure. They absolutely mm. had their chances to win the game, luck or no luck. Um, mm. But that, that finish is incredibly dramatic. And, uh, you know, it's a, it is in its own way a very dramatic and entertaining game. It was a good game. It's as I said, it lacks a bit of a bit of class and polish, but it's two teams that chance their arm like they went there to play and they didn't leave anything to chit. Like they didn't come out there and try to play dour football or slow the no, other no. team down. They came out trying to win the game um, by playing their best footy and playing enterprising footy. Uh, it didn't lead to a lot of points, but it was it was an entertaining game. And you know, if one if one team just had a 
you know, a, a, a you know a Laurie Daly or a, or someone of that, you know, a really top line player. I think they would have won comfortably because both teams threw it on and had a lot of chances, but just lacked that that superstar player. You know what I mean? Like in the spine somewhere or in the right position or even a polished outside back. Just someone. If one team just had that genuine superstar, I think they probably would have scored three tries. Yeah. Um, and neither did, and that's probably what made the game great because they were earnest and trying and, 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 and doing everything they could and just the other team could just scramble and hold on. And yeah, it was, it was, it was a good football game. Um, between two good teams, not two great teams probably would be a fair comment. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so St. George, it was, who went through to the grand final and ended up losing 28, eight to that rambunctious Brisbane side who, mm. you know, um, had won the minor premiership by a long way and by, for all intents and purposes were always expected to win the comp in that year. Um, Illawarra, well, I've got a, Illawarra a people statistic would. on that. Yes. Mm, just quickly, I think it's important to mention, um, if you want to look at how good Brisbane were and you mm-hmm. want to think about how clear it was that they were realistically going to win the comp and where they were at in the game at that point, the Dragons went into that grand final having not conceded a try for two straight games of finals they had not conceded a try in two straight finals games and conceded 28 points like that's the level that brisbane were at is that you could walk into the finals and concede a penalty goal and zero in your last two games and get 28 put on you that's the level that team was at they're on another plane to them to any other team that year yeah and this was their year like with the raiders out and with penrith out this was the year that you would have expected them to dominate like this right like they were yeah yeah it's sort of what you would have would have thought they would do. Um, yeah, so there you have and, and Illawarra, of course, only made the finals once more in their history when they, and that was the, you know, coming sixth out of 12 in the, in the ARL and getting knocked out by the Chargers. So this was their, this was their moment. And it just, uh, this is the thing, isn't it? We, we've watched a few games like this. We've looked at, um, you know, it remind, they remind, this game reminds me so much of some of those Bears losses where it just wouldn't have taken much to go the other way for them to get there and, um, the Penrith one particularly, I yeah, think. It, that, it the is. Penrith one particularly. Mm. Yeah, which of course was only the year before, but it, yeah. um, where it just it could so easily have gone their way if something, if it, you know, just one or two things had yeah. gone differently. Um, and then of course by '95, Graham Murray's been sacked as coach, and it's all it's all coming apart. And by '99, they're not in the comp anymore. Yeah, and it is. It, it, it like the Bears. So we've talked about it. We don't go too much over the Super League ground again, but it's similar in a way because if there's one rule in rugby league is that when amalgamations or teams being booted out or whatever's talked about, it's about how you're going on the field. Um, At that time, when yeah, yeah when, when when the when the Sharks were going through, you know, coming last and all that sort of thing before they had their premiership team put together, there was all this talk they should go to Perth, and then it became the West Tigers should go to Perth. Like, it, it, it's not rational. It's always based on how you're going on the field. Like, that's what they look at. They look at yeah. who's the weak link that people can't argue against because they happen to be crap in this little run. And if the Steelers had made a grand final and then kicked on with that success and gone to Super League or even not, but probably needed to go either way. But if they had made a grand final or if North had got in one of those grand finals and won them or that had happened they're in a similar situation where they're just probably not expendable. Um, And if you want a good example of that, there's nothing better than Manly is that Manly um, are a fairly small suburban team in terms of where they play. They have a ratchet ground and all that stuff going on. But the fact was they were just too successful. They were too good. They they couldn't be blocked that you couldn't just outright get rid of them really. Um, And I know they were forced to merge, but they, you know, they sort of came back and they went in as a, and more of a senior partner and all that sort of thing. And like the dragons did and, and all those sorts of things happen because you can't, 
if you're good on the field at the right time, you're just very hard to get rid of. And the Dragons went into a merger with the Illawarra's, the senior, senior, senior partners, having made a few grand finals in the 90s and pretty much dominated that merger again because they were, when all of that was going on, they were able to point to a series of grand finals and their history in general. But if the Steelers get in the grand final and, you know, put it on yeah. Brisbane or they, they go to Super League after that and keep their players, if the Bears do those things, they wouldn't have been the teams to go. They would have picked off someone else. So it would have been someone else struggling yeah. at the wrong time that left and it's not really how it should work because it's very arbitrary to say we need to cut a team this year um who's gone badly in the last three but that that is how how it goes you know yeah um, often, how easily could this have been east how easily could it have been east if not for brad fittler and gould going yeah, yeah, at that absolutely. time you but, know but, and, <laughs> and this is the era you've got to remember yeah. and i bring this up a lot is that in 92 93 after brisbane won those two comps like st george mm. and east are talking about merging yeah. This is before Super League had even existed, when it was barely a twinkle in John Rebo's eye that mm. they were talking about merging just so that they could compete, you know, mm. and because they both yeah. felt like they were both weak. <clears throat> they felt financially weak and unable to yeah. compete with the Broncos and the Raiders. Uh, yeah. and, and that's, you know, that gives you an idea that people think now that it's, oh, it's inevitable that the Roosters would still be around, but it wasn't mm. really. Um, no, no, no. You know, and, they, were, they were one of the worst teams going around in, at this period. And if, you know, Norths had have made one of their grand finals or the Steelers had of and they kick on and Brad Fittler decides to go to Manly where he had a big contract to go there and he easily could have gone, you know what, that sounds all right. I'll win five comps at Manly playing on that team. If that happens, then the Roosters probably finish last again in 95, 96 and then 1998, they're either out or they merge, you know, yeah. they merge, you know, they might have got rid of them and South and created a whole new side in that it's just one team in that area or something. And, and, you know, it's just one of those things, things, little things have happened in the game and it's a reason um, not to piss off East fans, but there's much less rational basis to have that team in that area of Sydney when they're surrounded by when South Sydney are there and all these other teams are around, that would have made much more rational sense. But we got in this situation where the teams that were not doing well probably had more rational reason to be in the comp. Like if you want to set up a national comp, there's a much better team to have a South Coast team than yeah. to have all these ones in the middle of Sydney. But they just weren't playing well at the right time. Graham Murray left. They're, you know, they even had a good squad, but they didn't put it together and they're not here. And that's really probably that simple, isn't it? As to mm. why they're not here, honestly, is that they didn't keep the coach. They didn't go to Super League. And so they weren't doing well. Mm. They didn't have any money. After, and like, well. 93, they finished seventh and only just missed the yeah. finals. 94, they finished sixth and only just missed the finals. Like they were still thereabouts. But they're um, good seasons now. We had a top yeah, five yeah. system and they moved to a top eight. And if, if the Steelers, if a team like that, they, they weren't a superstar t- team. It, this, a team with the level of talent that I looked at in that game in 92, if they were making the eight every year, that's a good result. Yeah, yeah. You know, now that, that's a good result. They're not, um, they didn't have a team where you're going, oh, well, if they're not winning the competition, that's a failure. That's no, a, that's right. They, they, they weren't a super team of superstars. Um, no, that's it. And so they, you know... Um, it just could have gone a lot differently, and but we love the Steelers yeah. here at the cemetery, and we were glad to we watch the do. we were glad to watch the peak of the Steelers project, which was making this prelim final in 1992. Uh, and look, we see people on Facebook saying "Bring back the Steelers." We're firmly we're firmly in the mm. "Bring back the Steelers" camp. I'm sure I can speak Absolutely. on your behalf, Gazzy. Bring back the Steelers. Oh, yeah. mm. Long live the Steelers, and uh, thank you to all the Steelers fans who might have listened to us for the first time on this uh, this episode. Uh, you know, maybe go back to a few more less, a few more uh, less painful ones, like uh, you know, games featuring other teams and that kind of thing. You might enjoy a little bit more. But uh, we'll promise to give you a win next time. Next yeah, time, yeah, we will. I'll tell you, decree. 
Steelers yep. win next time we watch one. Yeah, yeah, we will. We absolutely will. Mm. Um, because, you know, we don't want to cause people you know, unnecessary pain. Uh, Gazzy, anything to add? No, no, not really. It was a really enjoyable game. It's good to watch the Steelers again. Um, interesting game. It's, a, it's one that's remembered by a lot of people, and that's the sort of thing. But niche people, you know, there's a lot of things Steelers yeah, yeah. fans and Dragons fans remember, but it doesn't get written up in the Telegraph and written up in all these other places and talked about. So that's um, sort of exactly the sort of game we want to watch and get our heads around and get the rest of your heads around. That's why we're here. Mm. Thank you, as always, for joining us on the Rugby League Cemetery. Uh, we'll be back very shortly with another episode. We'll get a few out over Christmas, I reckon. We'll get a few out over the summer um, because we know people are stuck at home. There's no football on. There's nothing to do. You can't. I mean, you can't. You can't be watching cricket all summer. That's no way to live. Uh, so we've got. Well, there'll be plenty more cemetery to keep you occupied over the summer. But until then, it's Morgan Campbell and Luke Garrity signing off. One try in the game. Simon across the face. Rodwell inside for Izzard. Back for Simon. Simon shows it, gets away from one, kicks ahead. Was he pulled down late? I'm watching. Here's a chance for McIndoe. McIndoe dives. I think he might be going to give it, is he?